This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the program. Dr. Matt here along with Jeff and Terry. The gang is gathered today, by the way, celebrating Pearl Harbor Day 76 years ago. When Japan's surprise attack on Hawaii killed 2,400 soldiers, sailors, and civilians and uh, propelled the United States into World War II, Pearl Harbor Day, uh, a day that will live in infamy. That's what he said. Unbelievable. And it's true. Well, and then you look at all of these things we've gone through since, like a 9-11, uh, even just uh, the Las Vegas shooting, all of these tremendously difficult situations and you can only imagine what was going through the people uh on uh, in hawaii when that went down unbelievable and thank heavens for the people that then made it through world war ii and and led the country at that time uh welcome to the show we've got a lot to talk about holy cow uh interesting picture on cnn of president trump uh, making his announcement about jerusalem being the new capital mm-hmm. uh, with a christmas tree in the background Hmm. It's just an ironic <laughs> uh, little symbol there. Um, also, uh, Al Franken, they, they're they saying he may resign today. Well, he's making an announcement. Some announcements People coming People are up. calling for his resignation. 30-plus senators, Democratic, 32 Senate uh, Democratic senators have called for his resignation. That's that gotta, is a big deal. That's got to be a really awkward working environment, knowing that nobody wants you there. Oh, it's amazing. And it's interesting – what would it take to get 32, uh, 32 Republican senators sounds to want like, to kick somebody out? Sounds like the beginning of a joke. Like, how <laughs> many re- Senator Republicans does it take to unscrew a light bulb? How many? But it's a really crazy question because uh, there's a lot of turmoil about Roy Moore getting into the Senate with his background. And yet 32 Democrats have come together enough to say Al Franken, who's already in— and has already served Minnesota, he needs to get out. Mm. And many, I mean, you know, many are, this is, remember, we've talked a lot about how, man, apparently Congress doesn't work as quickly as NBC and some of these other uh, organizations to to eliminate or terminate these people once they've done something. But it's interesting. A lot of uh, backlash for Senator Al Franken. And, uh, I mean, no judgment on whether it's needed or not. It's just... It's interesting how the Senate moves. If he was an actor or if he was a broadcaster, he'd be gone. Gone. You'd have to, right? The marketplace would say you can't have that. Uh, but again, I think it's I think it's admirable that uh, 32 Democrats are willing to kick out one of their own. Can that announcement be anything other than I resign? Yeah, I don't know. And what, what else could it be? Like, I, I've heard... The call of the 32, I understand your need, and I've decided to continue to serve my state. Well, wouldn't he just make that announcement in print instead yeah. of making a special announcement? He's, I yeah. think he's going to resign. Oh, yeah. You'd think so. And, um, boy, uh, if you ever wondered what it would be like to uh, step into hell, Southern California's right there. Oh, those fires are unbelievable. And the video, did you see any of the video coming from people like just trying to make their commute home? It's unbelievable. It is, Southern Cal is on fire. 
Well, they mentioned that they evacuated the entire town of Ojai. I've been there many times. You mean Ojai? No, no, no. It's so beautiful, and it's just, it was so sad when I heard that they had to evacuate. That it's oh, I can't winds, imagine that being a ghost town. Oh, the winds keep blowing, and as they blow, you just spread fire. Wildfires, mm. fires are they're really. I mean, they're it's impacting uh, movie sets, it's impacting lives, it's impacting livestock. Did you see those horses? There was a story in the media about uh, one of the television stations stopped to do a story about these horses, and they ended up having to get into the game and start moving horses just to keep them from wow. being harmed. So, again, our prayers go out to them. Uh, unbelievable world, and uh, you know. We're all here to trying to make it through together. Let's get to the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what else should we be paying attention to today? Hamas reportedly urged uh, Palestinians to take part in a new uprising against Israel over President Trump's stunning announcement that he will recognize Jerusalem as its capital. We should call for and we should work on launching a Palestinian uprising in the face of the Zionist enemy, says Hamas leader. Uh, leadership in a speech in Gaza. The majority of the reported protests by Thursday afternoon uh, had been nonviolent. In response, the Israeli military announced it was reinforcing its troops in the occupied West Bank. Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu said Thursday that the countries have expressed interest in moving their embassies to the city in the wake of Trump's announcement. So other governments oh, wow. are thinking about this also. Uh, all diplomatic travel into Israel has been suspended till later this month, just till things settle down. and Everybody just needs to settle down. Once they start burning our flag, we can maybe yeah. return to the to Israel. Uh, Donald Trump Jr. cited attorney-client client privilege during his interview with the House Intelligence Committee Wednesday in order to evade questions about discussions he had with his father, President Trump. He said, I don't believe you can shield communications between individuals merely by having an attorney present said Representative Adam Schiff, the ranking member of the committee. That's not the purpose of attorney-client privilege. Trump Jr. was apparently being questioned about a conversation he had with his father after it was revealed that Trump Jr. met with Russians at Trump Tower last year. He said he could not discuss it with House investigators because when he was talking with his father, there was an attorney in the room. Oh, wow. Well, how convenient if you happen to be an attorney. I can't tell you anything I've ever said to anyone. Because there was an attorney in the room. So apparently the way the scenario plays out, Don Jr. goes to talk to Don Sr. Yeah. And just brings a lawyer along so they can go, oh, it's attorney-client because he was in the room. And they're like, well, that's not what, how that works. How interesting is this? And again, why uh, um, Joe Scarborough brought up this crazy point, why all the weird problems with Russia? I mean, we they didn't have any problem... You know, disclosing anything about China. Mm-hmm. They, they've disclosed everything about Venezuela. They've disclosed anything about every other place except Russia. Yeah. Something's up with Russia. I or, don't know what it is. Or something's not up with Russia. They just choose to, every time it comes up to lie about it. But yeah, and, yeah. and then get caught because it's... Well, and and why would eight people keep making so many weird claims and mistakes about right. something? So there's something there, Right. Four people have been indicted. Two people have been. I mean, it's something's going on. That's crazy. Donald Jr. Now is the time to stock up on cough syrup and ginger tea, although maybe not Tylenol. Reports from the Southern Hemisphere indicate that this year's (laughs) flu vaccine is not only is only about 10 percent effective. The Chicago Tribune reports. Oh, really? With experts bracing for an especially brutal season since the dominant strain of the particular uh, severe it's H3N2, if you were wondering, the 
specific designation of the flu. Oh, boy. Uh, typically in years when the predominant strain of H3N2, there are more hospitalizations, more severe diseases, and people tend to get sicker. Dr. Michael Eisen of Northwestern University's um, Metis Medical School told NBC, the flu is already spreading fast in the United States, too, with outbreaks in Louisiana, Georgia, Oklahoma, and Massachusetts. Last winter, there were none at this time, NBC News reports. There is still good news for anyone who braved their flu shot. And good incentive for others to get theirs right away. While vaccinated people can still get sick, generally they get a milder and less dangerous form of the illness. Plus, the protection against other flu strains is much higher. The Centers for Disease Control says uh, 50 to 70 percent more effective against other strains of flu. Wow. Did you get a flu virus? A virus? I mean a flu uh, shot? I don't think I have yet. Oh, you need to get it. Because it's 10% effective. A 10% effective. <laughs> Against that one strain, which is what they well, think yeah, is going to predominantly I, be the I strain. got one because I was there, but yeah. I that I didn't know it was that ineffective. That's what they're saying. 10%. It's 10% effective. Other strains, which you probably yeah. won't come in contact with, it'll protect you against those. Or will I? But the one that's going to really hit the country hard, eh, not so good. Wow. That's kind of depressing. I got stuck for nothing. Well, no, it'll, if you do get sick, it'll be milder. It won't yeah. hit you quite as hard. Right. Hey, by the way. Is that reassuring appar- at all? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> Apparently, uh, Donald Trump, President Trump's sniffles are back. Is that what it is? Yeah, that he's got the sniffles. Oh, okay. Yeah. Some reports that he almost lost his dentures during that press conference. I don't yesterday. think he has dentures. It sounded like it. He, the last part of it, he was really struggling to enunciate. Okay. More than usual. Just having a bad. Sometimes you get. Remember when he had that drinking problem, like the water problem? Yes. Maybe it was like that. It was just more. He needed his water. Oh. Uh, hmm. Now here's the here's a question. What? Parents. It's facing all parents this time of year. Okay. Yeah. That well, I guess that choose to participate. Do children who believe in Santa behave better? Yeah, well, yeah, you have that leverage on them. Do they? It's the same thing. This is it effective? Well, it's the same. It, it, whether they believe in Santa or not. By the way, Santa is 16 days, 19 hours away from coming. Just letting you know you that. You have a countdown? 16. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. 16 you're days, right. 19 hours, 42 wow. minutes, 51 seconds away. Mm. Um Okay, but it's the exact same thing. It's the, it, it just exactly how Santa works to help parents keep their kids, you know, doing what's right. Is the exact same way that the FBI and Mueller uh, have gotten Flynn, yes, to do what they needed him to do. Sure, it's the exact same methodology, minus Santa and like prison time. Well, yeah, right. That too. <laughs> We're not threatening our kids with prison, but Michael Flynn, yeah. So is it effective? Well, it says um, it, it's a parenting legend that children who believe in Santa is making his list, checking it twice throughout the year, but it doesn't hold scientific water. <sighs> Clinical child psychologist Paul DePompo from, uh, told the website Fatherly that uh, kids don't care about naughty lists, nice lists, grocery lists, or any other system of order. He says their behavior is based on consistency, trust, and positivity built by moms and dads year-round. Yeah. See, he's going to psychology. But that's not to say the threat of Cole can't nip one or two tantrums in the bud. Believing in Santa can work for a young child's behavior in the short term in specific circumstances. Mm -hmm. There's been some studies that kind of found out some uh, kind of negative I don't know why you need to believe in him. I mean, he is what he is. It doesn't matter if you believe in President Trump. 
he still exists. So there's been a, a recently scientists have been tackling the question of how belief in Santa affects children. One scathing study yeah. in the Lancet Psychiatry magazine found that uh, believing in Santa could result in psychological damage once children discover Come what on. the end result of the story is. Some experts suspect it doesn't really matter whether kids believe in Santa or not. They'll turn out just fine. To Pompo, the guy here that they're quoting is saying, uh, this is because even short-term behavior gains from the promises of presence depends on how parents positively reinforce their kids year-round. Yeah. If you're so scolding bad around. behavior more than you're praising good behavior, then the idea of Santa might not bring your kids their toys doesn't make a difference. See? It's all the relationship with your kid. So it may be harmful to your child uh, that believes in Santa because he may be you know, surprised or whatever. Um, but what about Krampus? Krampus. Well, you just don't Ooh. want to tell your kid about Krampus. Because it's got to be equally as damaging. <laughs> terrifying. If you don't want your child waking you up in the middle of the night staring at you, don't tell them about Krampus. Dad, somebody started hitting me with a twig. It says, conversely, if you're encouraging what they do right more than coming down on, what, uh, on them for what they do wrong, then the Santa story could help grease the wheels mm-hmm. for good behavior. There you go. It's, and this guy says you should do a ratio of five to one, five yeah. praises to one yeah, that's, negative. That's the great uh, research from John Gottman. Five positives erases a negative. There you go. So uh, five Santas erase a Krampus, if you're looking at it. Takes that, that many way. Santas? Mm-hmm. It's a lot. Yeah, it's a lot. Um, interesting, uh, interesting thing. But again, I don't know why we're wondering if Santa's alive or real he obviously is the santa tracker that is the google santa tracker mm. the Six, most accurate of all the most accurate accurate uh, of all of the santa trackers 16 days away 19 hours 39 minutes 16 seconds away uh that First. has to be false uh 13 seconds away because <laughs> i saw a sign on the freeway that said he's at the the mall that's oh yeah that's I, I Santa's an, helper. I saw another son. They're going to have breakfast with him on Saturday at a barn. You know what? He is so busy this It doesn't here. say Santa's helper. You can't fill up a mall with come see Santa's helper. you got to see the real deal. And why is he coming in on a helicopter? What's up with that? Well, because the reindeer need to rest. Is that They've what it got is? to make a world global trip in 16 days, 19 hours, 38 minutes. Don't they and warm up? 43 seconds. Shouldn't he be run? resting? Yeah, but he doesn't need rest because he's Santa and he has magic elves that rub his feet at night. Hmm. Wow. That sounds delightful. He's a lucky guy. Yeah. Well, he's actually under indictment for that. (laughs) But I don't want to go there. Labor laws. They're tough. Labor laws. (laughs) Um, Wow. I I still can't get over um, the fires in Los Angeles. Today is supposed to be uh, 70 to 80 mile an hour winds. I mean, you can't contain that. No. The one thing that they, they found that was effective in stopping it are the freeway and the ocean. To the freeway so is good far. for some, oh yeah. you mean that freeway, big huge body of water? Yeah. The freeway will stop anything. Well, in L.A. So let me get this straight. So it's going to it's going to burn from the mountains to the ocean. Yeah. Oh boy, well, it has. Well, what is that though? L.A. Because they said yes. Yeah, that's the entire. <laughs> they said yesterday, valley. like okay, it stopped. Well, there's the ocean. That's why it stopped. And then was it the 405? Is that the yeah, 405? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, the pictures mostly we saw, like the entire mountainside on fire was right up against the 405. But it didn't cross the freeway because it's like six no, lanes. Six half, half of L.A. is freeways. Yeah. They've paved so much of it that it's not really going to burn. I mean, 
It is crazy. crazy. The uh, what do you do with that? You wait. Well, and I the mean, winds. With the, the winds, winds you, there's no way to contain that. No way you to can't slow even that down. fight it. You just. I guess you let it burn till it's I, out of fuel. I, I did find the increased interest in the story once it got into Bel Air. Mm. Oh wow! Well, once uh, what's his name? Um, Will Smith, the Fresh no, Prince, the guy that runs that owns the uh, uh, Murdoch. Guy Rupert, runs Rupert, Rupert Murdoch's yeah. house in in Bel Air is burning. Is it really? <laughs> yeah. I was a, I, again. Everyone has neighborhoods on fire, but it's Rupert Murdoch's house. Yeah. Okay, great, thanks. Forget the horses that are being chased. Oh, it is. Aren't you grateful you don't? You're not going through that a month or 16 hours before, 16 days before Christmas. Yeah, I, there's no time of year that I would want that. No, good point. So, I don't know. I feel bad. And again, all we can do offer prayers. I'm sure we'll be sending money, organizing. But you know what else well, this means? There's going to be a lot of Hollywood people on the run. So if you live in any neighboring states to California, watch out! Watch out for movie stars. We'll get some migration west. <laughs> oh boy, they've uh, got firefighters on reserve from other places, including Utah. Yeah, and I mean, honestly, what a great way to go help! If, yep. if, but these are dangerous fires too because of those winds, and then all of a sudden you get trapped. And boy, has has there been? Deaths yet? Not none that I've seen reported. Yeah, I haven't heard but any reported. Wow! I think they're moving people out fast enough that they can uh, alleviate some of that. But I mean, the way it changes, I mean, the the winds they'll just shift and the, it could blow right through a neighborhood. Mm. So yeah, um, they're telling people this isn't a like the, the 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 warnings coming from the city officials and state officials are just get out complete don't don't play with this it's you know the the winds could turn and come onto your neighborhood fast you you could be safe one minute and you're in danger the next it says uh, 90,000 acres from Santa Paula to the Pacific Ocean have been consumed boy it's scary i feel bad this is as they say that this is not a watch the news and go about your day this is a pay attention minute by minute. I mean, really, I would just get out of there. Yeah. I wouldn't mm-hmm. go to work today. I'd, I'd claim the flu got me. Especially if you were somebody that had a home in Bel Air, just go to one of your other dozen homes. Yeah, just go up to Malibu, to your other place. Is this near Malibu? Is the fire near Malibu? Mm. Probably not. Probably so Bel Ken, south. Ken Pimplot, the uh, director of the California Department of Forestry and Fire Protection, he says today, he goes, the state's top alert is red alert in their system. But authorities warn of the dire new conditions. The forecast for tomorrow, which we today, is purple. Ooh. He goes, we've never used purple before. Purple's well, a color. They've of- just created a new level above red alert. Yeah. To kind of mm. just express. Well, apparently high fire level like is 190 points or something, and it's at 280 or something. It's mm-hmm. off the chart. Like they've they've never been this high, and it's it runs all the way to the ocean. <laughs> Scary. Um, by the way, uh, have you, uh, if I'm pretty sure Jeff's had this, have you ever had a hanging Chad? <laughs> You've mentioned on the show before that I have. I've had a hang nail before. Yeah, I think it's a lot like that. Uh, during the the election with between Bush and Gore, you, do you guys remember that? Do you yes. remember where you were oh, in two thousand? Yeah. Right. 
Yeah, that was my I that was in high the, school. I remember the criticism of, of uh, MSNBC as they had paper and magic marker as they tried to do the math of yeah. the the votes that were outstanding, the votes that haven't been you know accounted, and and they're, everyone's looking at them like you guys have like computers, you could do this with graphics. Why are we taking paper <laughs> and magic but marker? Those we're, were two thousand year two thousand computers. They didn't they, have they could Apple watches. Graphics. They, could they make didn't it. have MacBooks like we do today. Right. Uh, I was – I had a workshop to give and I stayed up all night watching this and then the next morning had to deliver three days of workshops. It's hard, Dale. But Oof. that's why we're ta- what we're talking about today is we are about to start uh, 2018, which would be midterm elections. And there could be some really close races and it could turn ugly, crazy if we can't – if we don't make sure – that we don't have any more hanging chads. And so today we're going to be speaking with a professor who is going to give us the lowdown on our ballot system. And maybe we need to design better ballots to make sure that we don't have another Bush v. Gore case uh, where Al Gore only lost by 400 votes in Florida, which would have changed the entire presidency. And uh, the reality is that those that could happen easily in our elections coming up this year. Uh, interesting insight into how we elect somebody and the ballots we use straight ahead. Election Day 2017 seems to have gone smoothly, right? Uh, election integrity, the extent to which the outcome of the election matches the will of the voter, was not an issue that uh, in the news. I mean, there were a lot of people shocked, right? Like, what? But, um, you know, things could, however, be different in 2018. Concern over election integrity could become amplified if turnout is high and margins are close. Given the stakes in the 2018 midterms that are coming up, uh, which are less than a year away, and other concerns such as reports about Russian hacking, now is the time election officials must begin the critical work of ensuring the integrity of the vote. Joining us to talk about it is Dr. Michael Byrne. He's a professor of psychology and computer science at Rice University. Uh, Dr. Byrne, thank you so much for your time and being with us today. Thank you for having me. We, I, I guess, it really was when Trump, President Trump, was elected. It, I, I think, it shook a lot of people because, too, he was claiming that there was election fraud, that there was, you know, that the certain places weren't didn't have integrity in the vote. Um, is is this how big of a threat is this really? That that uh, our our ballots aren't working. That there's computer um, people breaking into our voter system. Is is this a is this a real threat? Um, different different aspects of it are are bigger threats than other aspects of it. Um, you know, one of the there are very few election you know voting machines that are actually hooked up to the internet, and so large scale foreign attacks on individual voting machines are spectacularly unlikely. Um, but smaller scale attacks at the local level uh, are not that hard to accomplish, and uh, large scale attacks against, say, voter registration databases, um, those are pretty straightforward. So there, there are a lot of potential issues going forward that are not particularly well addressed at this time. Right. In fact, they uh, they always say, uh, I think it was, uh, who was it? Uh, 
Tip O'Neill, I think, said all politics are local. And it seems like then all, uh, you know, all voting integrity issues would still end up being local issues, right? Something on the street, something in that area. But no matter what, it could cost a local election. Well, it could cost a local election and it could cost a larger election. I mean, if, if, uh, if, if someone were to compromise, uh, you know, a couple of very large precincts in a very close election, you know, if it's a close election at the state level, um, you know, Senate seats, congressional seats, those are, those are not that hard to compromise, even by targeting a few precincts that the election is going to be close. Like the election, the Senate election coming up in Alabama, mm. right? By all the poll numbers, it looks like it's going to be very, very close. If you could compromise a few really, really, really big precincts, um, you could affect the outcome of that election. Well, it's true. I guess uh, Al Gore only lost Florida by 400 votes in the end. Correct. And and who knows if that was even accurate, right? I mean, I guess this is what it comes down to is we worry about the technology somehow, somebody breaking into that. But I, I guess really a bigger problem might just be the ballots themselves, the paper ballots. Right. And that's, and that's sort of the, you know, Florida is a good example of that. It wasn't, you know, people, lots of people are aware of the butterfly ballot in Palm Beach County, and, and that, that created many errors. But there were actually lots of other places in Florida um, where there were problems with the ballot design that that very easily could have influenced more than 400 votes. Why now who designs the ballot? It seems like because this is such a critical national issue on a national election that there there really ought to be one type of ballot and I guess then that ballot needs to be fitted for every machine. Is that is that the problem or who designs the ballot and and why are there so many different versions of it? So ballots are are designed by whoever your local election officials are. Um, in most places in the United States, that's the county clerk or the elections director in the county clerk's office. But in most places, the elections are, are ultimately the responsibility of the county clerk. Um, and it, it's a hard problem because every ballot is slightly different, right? Even if you have a relatively modest-sized county, right, there are different jurisdictions of, you know, some people vote for city council and some people vote for you know, dog catcher, and some people vote for school board, and, and those, those don't all, you know, match the geographic areas perfectly. And so there's, you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of different ballot styles, even in a relatively small county, for any, any moderately sized election. So the opportunity for something to go wrong hmm. uh, is quite large. Wow. I guess, um, what, what are the, what's, what's the fix? How do you go about, if we have so many different devices, so many different ballots that are being created, is there any national oversight? Is there any way to make it, you know, universally better for everyone? So, um, so one of the interesting things about, about the way elections are regulated is that this is a power that's explicitly reserved in the Constitution for the states. So the federal government can't mandate mm. yeah. that all elections meet certain particular standards. Um, that's, that's enshrined in the Constitution. That would be very, very hard to change. The federal government can put out voluntary sets of recommendations, um, but, and, and they have. Um, and, but those recommendations didn't really cover a lot about ballot design until the mid the mid-aughts, 2007, was the first set of those guidelines that, that really spoke to ballot design. Um, but it's a hard problem. I mean, most of your local election officials are not, you know, they're not usability experts. Right. They're, they're administrative experts. 
Um, it's, it's getting better. Uh, there have been a lot more resources that have been put out in the last 10 years besides these guidelines. Um, you know, things like uh, the National Association of Election Directors has started talking more to their membership about, you know, how do you do design, and there are some better resources out there. So I think it's changing in the right direction. Um, but it's a slow process, and it's a big, it's a, it's a very large, very complicated problem. And and who, I mean, are there people that have actually studied and you know matriculated in designing ballots, or are they just accessibility designers? What are they? I mean, who who started out saying, "Mom, someday I'm going to design a ballot." Uh, where, where does that uh, begin? I don't know that anybody sort of starts out thinking that, that what I want to do when I grow up is design ballots. But it's certainly the, it's certainly the case that if, if the election director is interested in getting someone who knows something about it to do it, that there are a lot of different backgrounds that people might have that, that give them some leverage on usability problems. And certainly designers are, you know, traditional graphic designers are, are part of that group. But there are also people who who do do more about, you know, ballot usability. And there are, there are now some um, great resources out there. There are some books. Um, there's an organization called the Center for Civic Design that has a bunch of resources that are designed to help people who know something about design but not a lot about elections sort of, sort of make that move. Um, so there are some resources mm. out there, uh, but it, it varies a lot as to who actually does the design. Oh, yeah. Well, again, we're speaking with Dr. Michael Byrne, who is a professor of psychology and computer science at Rice University, talking about his article on designing better ballots. You know, Michael, I've, uh, I have an app. I won't name names on the app, but it's an app that I can put in my VIN number on my car and I can see everything that's ever happened to my car. And it's sure. all in the, my hand, and it's so easy to access, and I know everything about it. And I, I sit there and I think, is there not a com- is there not a commercial uh, method that, like a commercial company that could go out and design the ideal, perfect, best practice, and affordably then get it and, and go sell it to all of these cities and states and municipalities. Is that going on, or is that the problem? Is that there's so much competition in the market that we have seventy different versions of of systems and processes? Well, I think the the, the larger issue is is um, that every ballot is different, every jurisdiction is different, and so the, I don't think there is a one size fits all solution. Um, I've I've worked with a couple different election officials um, who are trying to design new voting systems and. The constraints are different. You know, the election laws are different in every state. Hmm. Um, what kinds of races end up on ballots are different in every state. Um, things like um, constitutional amendments or other kinds of referenda are handled differently in every state. Um, and so that it's, it's not clear that there is a good one-size-fits-all solution. Let me give you an example of this. So in, I've been working with Los Angeles County, California, and uh, on their voting system, and they've sort of worked very hard to scale their system up so it might be able to handle 75 races on a ballot. Hmm. If Boy. you are in Texas, where I live, 75 races is That's... a small ballot. Really? Right? We vote for every judge at every level here in Texas. Yeah. And so our ballots are, in the last election in Harris County, which is where Houston is located, for most voters, the ballots was, ballot was over 100 races long. So... There, this creates all kinds of sort of difficulties and constraints if you have different sets of rules and different sort of voting customs. Sure. Uh, so that I don't think there is a one-size-fits-all answer. Well, and it, it was interesting um, to me to, to see that uh, you've got 
L.A. is decided to design their own system because they couldn't find a system that met their needs. So so I guess maybe that's it. You have to do that. And then that costs money. But then it also doesn't necessarily guarantee that, you know, I mean, I can see the first generation of people making this new L.A. version. That'll be a great one. But you may not get the same designer next time. You may not get the same thinker next time. They may not implement it the exact same way. So it does become more uh, problematic. Is there a difference? Are you noticing and is there any research on the difference between electronic versus just paper ballots? So there's been a fair amount of research on the difference between electronic and paper ballots. And it's sort of hard to generalize across everything because different current electronic machines are so different from each other. Right. Some of them are much better than others, and some of them are pretty bad. Um, and paper ballots, you can make mistakes on paper ballots, too. So the question is, you know, in general, what do we know? What we know is that paper's pretty good. Um, the current generation of electronic machines that are sort of out in the wild are actually mostly not as good as paper. Um, but research has, has been done that shows that we can beat paper if we work hard on the design of the electronic system. So we can generate a system that's, that, that produces even fewer errors than a paper ballot. Hmm. So, um, well, what about voting? And um, I know we're hearing more about this, but voting online, voting from home, the mail-in ballot, because, uh, again, everyone thinks those could be fraught with issues as well. Uh, but to me, there's nothing easier for me than my mail-in ballot. That was just such an easy system. Sure. So, uh, and mail-in ballots have become very popular, uh, particularly on the, in the on the West Coast. Um, the the and and I think that's probably likely to continue. The thing that that security people worry about, um, and I'm not primarily a security person, but I hang out with them a lot. <laughs> um, the thing that security people worry about the most is that mail-in ballots have basically no resistance to coercion or vote buying. Hmm. Right. If, if I'm if I'm your boss or your coercive spouse or some organization, it's really, really easy for me to show up in your house and say, I'm going to watch you fill out your ballot, and if you don't do it the way I want you to, bad things can happen. Or alternatively, I'm going to show up at your house and watch you fill out your ballot and mail it, and I'll pay you money if you do the right thing. Sure, I'll give you a coupon. Right? <laughs> yeah, sure, a coupon. Um, so so there's, there's a lot of security concerns um, in, that, in, the, in the election security community about vote by mail. So that's... Uh, um, you know, not, not security so much that that can be hacked. Um, but, you know, most of the cases of voter fraud that have actually been prosecuted in the last 20 years successfully um, involve mail-in ballots. Really? That's the yeah. – and uh, overall, though, um, the, if I get it – if I remember correctly, there's not a lot of data showing that we have a, a significant amount of voter fraud, right? Correct. That's right. That's right. Um I mean, we hear people talk about it, but real voter fraud doesn't seem to happen as much as we think, like in the in a handful of numbers, right? Yeah, that's right. I mean, the, the data certainly suggests that voter fraud is fairly rare. It's hard to know for sure. Um, you know, advocates of the idea that there's a lot of fraud point out that most of the arguments that say there aren't very much fraud are based on the number of convictions. Hmm. And they argue there's a lot more going on than what people actually get charged and convicted with. But there's no evidence that that's true. It might be true, but there's no clear evidence that that's true. Interesting. So overall, Michael, anything we can do to to push our our local 
uh, elections people to to create a healthier, safer ballot for all of us, one that's going to work that that gets the results we need. So I think I think there are a couple things that that uh, you know people who are not already election officials can do, and one of them is they can volunteer to cooperate with election officials. One of the things that would make the life of the election official easier is if they had people who were willing to come in and volunteer to be guinea pigs in a usability test of the ballot. Hmm. Um, one of the things you can do is you encourage your election official to do usability testing of their ballots. Um, not all election officials are quite as far cited about that as others, and, and encouraging that is also important. And one of the other real serious problems is, is and this is not a surprise to anybody, is money. Yeah. Right? There's, there, nobody wants to spend money on, a, on a, administering elections, and the federal government earmarked a whole bunch of money um, after the 2000 election, but all that money's been spent. Uh, and so it's very expensive to replace your voting systems and to worry hard about these problems. Now, L.A. County, because it's the most populous county in the country, you know, can pool resources across the whole county, and they have some money to spend. But a lot of smaller jurisdictions have, have almost no resources to do this. So, you know, support the idea that, that we need to spend some money securing our election system. Great stuff. Great insight, Michael. Thank you so much. Again, Dr. Michael Byrne uh, is professor of psychology and computer science from Rice University, just helping us stay awake and alert to, to some of these concerns. 20,000 people's votes were, dis, you know, they were disenfranchised, really, from um, a Democratic County, Duval County in Florida in the, in the uh, 2000 election. 20,000 votes had to be thrown out because of the voting voter system not working. And... Uh, then we're going to make the biggest democratic decisions of our lives on a system that we tried to pay as little as we possibly could for? Scary stuff. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you uh, vote in a, in a hopefully more effective way. I'm ready to go in, coach. Just give me a chance. Because life doesn't come with a handbook, you need a coach. Here's Dr. Matt and his coaching corner. Play ball! Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, you got the holidays coming up, right? And um, we can give you the countdown. It's basically 16 days away, about uh, 19 or so hours, 16 days, 19 hours away until Santa comes. But the magic can begin much earlier than that. Um, We all know what it feels like to be overwhelmed as a parent, and going through the holiday season, making sure you get everything, and on top of it, making sure that they all have batteries. you got to remember the batteries, or you will have the worst search of your life on Christmas Day as you are brain, or, you know, barnstorming a 7-Eleven to get all the batteries you can. Uh, why I bring this up is, is there a way that we can be more mindful, more present, and find the holiday magic? That is today's topic uh, and the answer, I truly believe, is yes. And I found three little keys or tools that we all might be able to use in order to actually make Christmas a little more magical for ourselves and probably for more magical for others. The first rule is the number one present you can give is to be present. Actually be in the moment. And I know that's hard to do because you're constantly planning for the next moment, and then you've got the next party. Tonight we have a church party, and then we'll have a company party, and then we'll have this party, and then this party. And you're moving, and you're constantly on the run. 
But if you want to actually ever have the magic, you you really need to be where you are. You need to have your head in the game, be in that space. Uh, I've noticed with holidays, though, we got to be careful because for us, you may have a really positive history when it comes to um, these the holiday season, but there are some people that don't. And one of the reasons they may struggle being present in today's holiday is because they've had a very painful past, right? There may have been something that happened around Christmas. There may have been something that reminds them at Christmas time about a, a past issue for them, somebody that they may have lost um, – a divorce, for example. One of the interesting things when I grew up, my parents divorced, but I, I thought it was so amazing because as a child, uh, my mom and dad could be together. Even though they were divorced, they they could still be together or and they, they were separated. They could still be together on Christmas morning. And my dad would come over and we would hang out and my uh, my dad's mom would come over and we would have a Christmas morning as a family. And I thought, how cool is that? But there are others that don't have that positive story. Their parents may have divorced and it meant divided holidays. It meant they they couldn't be with one of their parents over the Christmas holiday because they were with the other parents. So there may be a painful past and that might keep you. There may be pressures of the present. There's so much going on, the gifts, all the all of the running around we have to do. Or it may be the fact that you know that after the holidays in January, you've got to start back to work and you just really dread that. Or there's part of something you've got to do next year that's going to be difficult. And so one of the things that may be keeping us from the present is a painful past or a problematic future or just the pressures of day to day. Another thing you might want to be looking at this holiday season is what is distracting you from being present. Do you have a default distraction, something that you do every time? Is it your phone? Is it the fact that you have this compelling need to have to document every event and take so many pictures and have, you know, and post so many things to social media that you actually aren't even present because you're too busy taking all the pictures? Or is it other things? Is it the fact that you're, you feel this need to control the party and you make sure everything's going perfectly so you get so caught up in being the host that you can't be present? What distracts you? What keeps you from being present? Uh, is it just the anxiety you feel? Is it, is it something like that? Anyway, whatever it is that uh, seems to turn you off of this season, let's watch out for it and let's, let's make a commitment today that we're not going to let it happen. Let's see if we can't improve our pains from the past and, and, and recreate them into something really powerful today. Another thing I found that helps me stay more present in the holidays is to sense the magic, I call it. If you think about it, all of your great memories about Christmas, Christmas's past probably are connected in some way to your senses, Right. There are certain things that you may remember. I remember uh, sitting uh, and I had three sisters and we would all go down into a room on Christmas Eve and we'd fall asleep in that one room. And I remember hearing bells upstairs, uh, sleigh bells. I remember hearing footsteps. Just the sounds were so impactful for me. I remember smells of uh, hotcakes and gravy that we would have every morning on Christmas morning. Other smells that really uh, brought the, the holiday to life for me. The anticipation, the feeling of, of anticipating something. So what do your senses remind you and what memories are created for you 
um, around the holidays. And think about it. Is it the smells like gingerbread, pine trees? Is it is it the smell that gets you around the holidays? How about the tastes of like uh, homemade divinity or wassail or sweet rolls? Is it sounds, carolers, sleigh bells, Christmas music? How about touch? Just the cozy jammas, pajamas or uh, the hugs from people, the cold air at night. How about the sights? Fireplaces, tree lights, shopping malls. What is What sense really lights up your Christmas. And then, can I suggest, once you figure out what sense it is, go play on that sense. Bring back those memories. And all you have to do really is touch in on one of those senses. If you love the music, then get to the music. It's a powerful way to reconnect. And then the last uh, suggestion I make about how you can, you know, really bring the holiday magic back is figure out what gift is essential for you to give. I don't believe every gift is essential, right? The three wise men brought different gifts, and everybody brought what was kind of uniquely theirs to bring. Well, what gift are you to bring to your family, to the people around you? Is it just your good sense of humor? Is it just the fact that you're supportive? Is it that you're positive? Is it that you're caring? Is it that you're loving? Is it that you're forgiving? What is it that you can bring this Christmas season that only you can give? And I'm going to bet it's something a lot less tangible. It's probably not money. It's not cash. It's not a gift card. It's something like self-acceptance, undivided attention, unconditional love, powerful things like that, like patience. So if you had a magic wand and you could truly be the most amazing person you've ever wanted to be, what gifts would you then bring to your family this year? If you were everything you wanted to be as a human being, what would you then bring differently to the family? And let me challenge you to go bring that. And let's see what happens. Let's see if it doesn't change you and change those around you by you just bringing what is essentially you. We don't need anything else. We don't need, you know, we don't need another sweater. We just need you. Interesting, interesting uh, opportunities we have this Christmas season, this holiday season. We will continue the journey, folks. This is the Matt Townsend uh, Show, hoping to give you some, some hope in life. That's our goal, to help you live longer, love stronger, and lead a healthier life. Welcome back, friends. You know, um, I, earlier we, we did a story uh, recently about uh, the elf on the shelf that's missing. Have yeah. we done it? Uh, no. <laughs> but just a really quick yeah. uh, synopsis of what's happening. Because there's good news. Yeah. Finally. There, uh, there was uh, in New Hampshire, a New Hampshire town, uh, they were looking for Zippy. As you mentioned, it was their elf on the shelf. And uh, he's been missing. He's gone ah. missing. But Terry gave us an update. Yeah. He's been found, and just in time, too. Because, like you said, oh. we are, what, 16 days away yeah. from Christmas? You need that elf. Yeah. So that you can have that uh, secret agent sitting on the shelf watching your children and, and silently intimidating. So is he zippy because he's happy, or is he zippy because you want him to zip it? Zip it, zip, hey! Uh, I don't know. But whatever it is, they found him. He was a little wet, but he's safe. Apparently, they found photos of him carried, uh, being carried by a police officer and then placed in a parked car. 
So Zippy is back. Our holiday magic is back. Deerfield Rescue Squad EMS Captain Cindy McHugh says a town resident was getting ready for work when he saw Zippy was on his doorstep and has now been returned. Maybe he was trying to escape, and when they put him in the cop car, they put him in cuffs. Bad boys, bad boys. Bad elves on the shelf. That'll be the next BYU Broadcasting show we'll be releasing next Christmas. Uh, Anyway, good news, folks. Zippy is back. You can relax. And by the way, everybody go check on your elf on the shelf. Make sure they're still elfing and shelfing. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to BYU Radio. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the program. Dr. Matt here along with Terry and Jeff. We're doing what we can to give you a leg up in life. i uh, got a lot of news, a lot of other information to talk about, including... What uh, were you guys ever asked this question? What do you want to be when you grow up? Oh, sure. What did you say? I probably said fireman. Yep. Fireman. Policeman. Yeah. 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 No. Superhero. It's funny. I never had a really good answer for that. When I got older, it became author, actor. Really? Yeah. Well, you're there. Mm hmm. I became disappointed because they, they make you take these tests. Aptitude yeah. sort of test, oh, yeah. like sort of. This yeah. is what you're. This what is you're, what you're going to be to discover your career. Mine was always park ranger <laughs> or garbage <laughs> hey. man. Either way, yeah. Civil you servant. You could still do the park ranger thing. But as we like went around all the other people in your class and asked, that seemed to be kind of the default answer. Yeah. Like if they couldn't figure out what your interest was because you're a teenager and you're like, I'm not interested in anything. I don't know. You're a park ranger. Yeah. I was told I would be a paid clergy. But mm. I, I belong to a church where there is no paid clergy. Oh, So I'm like, blasted! I can't even work in my church. That was my Irishman. Hmm. Uh, so I'm a little... Um, our guest today is going to blow your mind a bit. I don't know if you were able to watch her TED Talk. Amy Schaefer. It's, Parts of it, yes. It really is amazing. Um she says, maybe there's a better question to ask these kids than what do you want to be when you grow up? And there might be a better question than when, when you walk up to somebody, like we're all so bold as to say, so, so what do you do? Like you're at a party with a bunch of people. And so what do you do? Maybe there's something else we could be asking that might tell us more about them and actually might put a different kind of focus on their life. What's your favorite color, perhaps? Um, maybe. Or like when, <laughs> when I'm around a doctor, I always like to just point out a mole and just say, does this look, does this look cancerous? Oh. Is this precancerous? So maybe if you, you notice the facial blemishes and you say, so what's with that wart? Is that the question? <laughs> no, 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 no. You don't ask that. Okay. But what about this question? Like, okay, and just think about it. What makes you wonder? What do you wonder about? See, I would be weirded out by a question like that at a party. But, but so, like, when you talk to a kid, though, like, what makes what makes them curious? Hmm. What are you curious about? What do you wonder about? What do you think about? It's a different thing than saying, "What do you want to be?" 
right? It's just because they may just wonder about something that's not even an occupation. And you might be able to put them on this track. It really is – and then she'll define wonder for us. It really is – it's a wonderful uh, insight to all of us, I think. Hmm. What do you wonder about? What scares you? We'll be talking about it um, with Amy Schaefer straight ahead. Uh, speaking of wonder, uh, apparently Donald Jr.'s in a little bit of uh, hot fire right now. But it's protected in his mind by attorney-client privilege. Hmm. Even though it was a conversation between him and his dad. Yeah. But they brought a lawyer into the room. So it's protected. Right. Is that how that works? I guess. That's why you, every family needs a lawyer in the family. Then you just invite him to everything? Or just have one sitting in the hall, just kind of break in case of emergency. Yeah. I'm guessing this is not the first time they've done this. Can you imagine Christmas with the Trumps? Just put a lawyer at the end of the table? <laughs> they, they have the lawyer there. But then you've got Kushner, who's now really being chased and in possible trouble. Mm-hmm. Donald Jr. I mean, what's Eric doing? Haven't heard even, much from Eric. You don't hear much from Eric. Apparently, he's running the company. Yeah. boy, Eric. Like Don Jr. is supposed to be doing. Don's, you know, not talking to lawyers. I mean, talking to lawyers, not talking to others. Right. It's, it's going to be a weird Christmas. Plus, it would be, is this their first Christmas at the White House? Well, they won't, probably won't be at the White House. First Christmas. Really? As president in Mar-a-Lago. There you go. I'd be there. Yeah, they'll jump right out of the White House. The White House is kind of government housing for them, so they have to... Go to more gilded have, estates. Have there been any, have there been any uh, statistics about how much time certain presidents have spent in the White House? Or oh, how I'm many sure. nights they've spent in the White House? Oh, yeah. Someone's probably figuring it out. Yeah. I mean, that doesn't that sound like a fun project? <laughs> <laughs> Counting Eisenhower's days in the White House, hours in the White House. Um it's funny because they used to – I mean a couple of years ago it was all about golf, how much, how many hours golfing. That was crazy. Now it's about – Well, he doesn't golf. Yeah, he doesn't golf except he golfs. Mm, except for the photographs and the golf carts. Yeah. And, but uh, it's not golfing. Those nah. are meetings. He owns golf courses. He's mm. just going to the places he owns. Right. He's visiting properties. Can a guy not walk around a really green place with, and swing a little stick and hit a little ball without everybody thinking it's golf? Yeah, come on. You're so pushy. By the way, Elon Musk apparently has a new project in sight. It's not space. It's not um, It's not just cars. Mm. It's got to be a cologne. No. Called Musk. What? Oh, wow. Would it you want a cologne it, called Musk? It lends itself to a cologne. Well, like – but like don't, don't they use Musk smells like to bait animals in? Yeah. Give me some of that elk musk. You mean Elon Musk? No, I mean elk musk. <laughs> it's the, for deer, real. the deer spray because they use it, you know, deer hunting. Apparently, uh, Elon Musk says you can make subway tunnels cool again. And then. Like what? Like a disco situation? Put up some no, beer balls? He or? wants to build an underground transportation system. Well, yeah. He's been talking about that for a while. And now all of a sudden you get around all of the congestion and instead of thinking you have to go take the freeway and the overpass, now you just go underground and you can drive all over the place underground. Huh. So now we're mole people. Uh Uh-huh. Nice. Mole people. And also you can have trains, of course, Hmm. subways. 
But why not take it underground? Politicians have been doing it for centuries. <laughs> anyway, that's uh, that'll be coming up. I'm sure we'll be talking more about that. Attaboy, Elon Musk. Nothing stops this man. Musk. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Uh, now to the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what else should we be paying attention to? Eight of the 15-member United Nations Security Council will meet on Friday to address President Trump's announcement recognizing Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. This according to Reuters. Trump on Wednesday said the U.S. would recognize Jerusalem as Israel's capital and announced a plan to move the U.S. embassy from uh, there from Tel Aviv, a move that drew statements of concern from multiple world leaders. Arab leaders warned that the decision could doom the fragile uh, Middle East peace process. Palestinians called for three days of rage in response. I need some days of rage, Matt. Three days of rage. Can we schedule that? We put that on the show somewhere? No, I thought every day you rage. Terry's days of rage. I try to. I try to rage for a few minutes every day. Uh, British Prime Minister Theresa May called Trump's decision unhelpful, while French President Emmanuel Macron says France does not approve. Really? And then he went, ha, 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 because he's French. Ha, ha, ha. Uh, former National Security Advisor Michael Flynn assured a business associate that economic sanctions against Russia would be ripped up as one of the Trump administration's first Uh-oh. orders of business. This according to a report in the New York Times. Flynn reportedly thought the repeal of sanctions would help a business project he was once wor- he once worked on with Ru- in Russia, according to a whistleblower, suggesting that the former White House staffer had personal incentive for a closer U.S.-Russia relationship. Flynn texted Alex Copson of ACU Strategic Partners on Inauguration Day that a project to build a nuclear power plant in the Middle East with Russia was, quote, good to go. This is going to make a lot of people very wealthy, Copson replied. So you have the top security official, top intelligence official in the United States, Michael Flynn at the time. Yeah. Talking about how he was going to financially benefit from his position. Oh, boy. Which is uh, against the law. But hey. And that he would tear up. He was promising to tear up sanctions. Don't worry about it. We'll tear these up, and then we can go build this plant. We're going to make a ton of money. It's great. Ah, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that'll get you in trouble. Yeah. Uh, On Wednesday, a group of uh, Harvey Weinstein accusers filed a class action lawsuit against the producer, Miramax, and board members for what they allege was organized criminal behavior... To cover up Weinstein's actions for years. Harvey Weinstein is a predator. Bob Weinstein, his brother, knew it. The board knew it. The lawyers knew it. The private investigators knew it. Hollywood knew it. We knew it. Now the world knows it, the plaintiff said in a joint statement released on Wednesday. The 14 counts include witness tampering, mail and wire fraud, assault, civil battery, negligent supervision and retention, and intentional infliction of emotional distress. Wow. Mm. And everybody knew about it, is the claim. Yeah. And from what we've seen, as it's, it's been two months, yeah. right, since the first story about Harvey Weinstein. And since then, it's kind of been confirmed that everyone that was... The Clintons didn't with, know about that. Did they? Because now there's stories... I know. ...that you have actresses who were stumping for Hillary Clinton telling her staff, why are you associating with this guy? Yeah. And they, and they went... Eh, and then later, they after it came out, they said, I don't know why the actress talked to those people. She should have talked to someone who could have done something about it. Uh, so that's the uh, press releases uh, that have come out. So yeah, okay. it's, it's turning out that everyone's bad. 
Not just Harvey. Yeah, it used to be that just a few people were bad. Now we're finding out everybody's bad. Oh, gross. <clears throat> Maybe it's time that all of us get better. <laughs> Maybe not. Good job, Matt. Thanks. Way to bring it home. Um, so next we're talking about the, the idea of wonderment. Yeah. Right? Discovering a child's wonderment instead of saying, you're going to go into business. You yeah. need to be a doctor. Let him, let him wonder. Let him go with what drives them. In that spirit of wonderment, mm-hmm. this uh, NBC New York has a, uh, a nice little uh, write-up here. They, they went to Google, looked at Google searches from every state that start with, why do? Mm. Why do? When people are wondering on yeah. Google. When they, the questions start with, why do? So in Alabama, their story was, why do dogs lick? It's a great That's question. That's the number one why do question. Because people well, like in, Matt keep putting peanut butter on the roof of their mouths. Right. In Alabama, the number one why do question is why do dogs lick? Yes. Great. Okay. What other states? Uh, Arizona, why do people lie? Good Ooh. question. Arkansas, why do we sleep? Mm. California had a bunch. Why do ankles swell? Why do birds suddenly appear? <laughs> why do I smell smoke? Delaware's, I think, was, why do we still live here? Oh, uh, come on. <laughs> Delaware's, why do dogs eat grass? That's, that's a good one there. I'm not sure. <laughs> Is that the number one? California had another one. That, why do jumping beans jump? Oh, interesting. Like, why do? Um, why do do? District of Columbia, why do I sweat so much? This must have been <laughs> over the summer. Whose is why do fools fall in love? I'll have to find it. Why do roosters crow is Hawaii. Oh, good question. Hawaii. Um, Idaho, why do men have nipples? Great question. Because I heard they're like portholes on a Buick or however that line went. I can't remember that. Yeah. Um, Illinois, why do my teeth hurt? Huh. Yeah. Um, Utah. Trying to see here. I love the why do I sweat so much. I like that too. I guess the answer is because it's hot. Uh, why do people yawn is Louisiana. Good question. Um, man, there's some really personal issues people are wondering yeah. about here. Um, why yeah. do I ask Google why do? Why do hurricanes form? That was a question a lot of people had over ah, the, over the sure. summer. Why, why, why was this a problem? Uh, why do cats hate water? Why do dogs hate? Why do dogs pant? That's out of Pennsylvania. Utah is why do we yawn and. Why do NFL players kneel? Apparently, they can't figure that one out on their own. They mm, yeah, just read the paper. Texas, why do ears ring? Why do eyes twitch? Why do I bruise so easily? Why do my <laughs> why do my kidneys hurt? <laughs> <laughs> These are the questions people have. Why, why do, are my eyes bleeding? Why do they call it the birds and the bees? These are some of the questions that Texas is, a great is asking. Question. That is a great question. Why do seals slap themselves? Hold on, what? Yeah. You know, when they go, they, they clap oh, yeah. their hands. or yeah, yeah. So, yeah, these are some of the top why do questions from Google from every state. Um, that's it's interesting, too, that that you'd think that we'd be more universal. Some states apparently really have a lot of dog questions. Yes, there's lots of dogs. Did questions. you see any cat questions? There's a few cat ones. Why? Why do kids or cats need K-N-E-A-D? Like need what do they need? It doesn't say. It just says need. They need like dough? Why do cats purr? Why do cats like boxes? Why won't my cat die? That doesn't, doesn't <laughs> say that one. Why does Jeff purr? Yeah. Have you noticed he purrs? Right there. I was waiting for it. That's interesting. Why do feet smell? New York is worried about smelly feet. 
Which well, I yeah. think is something we all should be worried well, about. Well, when you're millions of you trapped on an island, that you've got to worry about that. <laughs> That's a problem. Interesting stuff. Yeah. I, have you ever asked Google a why do question? I'm sure I have. See, my kids, they do it all the time. Like, I'll be giving them my pearls of wisdom. Hmm. Trying why, to, why, why, why do, and then it doesn't really work grammatically, but dad keep talking? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Why do dad keep talking? But I do everything I can to, to enlighten them, to bring them the joy and the knowledge that I have. And then they always check on Google if I'm accurate. Why do they check? You know, it's like when somebody uh, says something about a movie that yeah. is simply not true. Like they'll try to say, oh, no, this person directed this film. And I'll say, no, no. I'm no. pretty sure it wasn't. And they won't take my word for it, which I think is a mistake well, yeah, when it comes a, to movies. Well, you're a highly trained professional. Yes. And they always they always check it up online, and then you see the head sag. <sighs> they have to turn to me and say, you were right. I guess I was thinking about this movie. Nope, no, he, he, didn't, <laughs> he didn't direct that one either. Yeah, I don't like it when, I do, when you do that to me. Yeah. Just Why? don't just don't bother. Just believe Jeff. Yes. Uh Jeff, I'm going to believe you. Do you have any empty news for us? Any empty news headlines we should be focusing on? I sure do. Um you know, this is kind of scary. We live in a place where the stere- one of the stereotypes is that people like to give really weird names to their yeah. children or they like to give them a really weird spelling right. of a of a normal name, uh-huh. you know? Um, and, you know, I'm one to talk. I named my son Stas. Stas, after Stanislav. And I'll be, I'll be explaining that one for the rest of his life. Oh, yeah. Or at least for the rest of my life. Well, plus think about him. Yeah. I mean, he's got to, he'll have is, to pay for it. Is, is Stas here? It's Stas. Is Stas? <laughs> is he here today? Anyway, um, there's this couple... That loves the Olive Garden so much. The restaurant, the Olive Garden. Yes. Oh, wow, yeah. They're going to name their daughter Olivia Garten. Oh, boy. So. Too bad for her. Several things wrong with this. Yeah. Um, why are we bringing Olivia into this if it's Olive Garden? Well, you, you can't call her. Well, I guess you could call her Olive. Yeah. What's wrong with Olive? Now, we Oh, can you imagine how much trouble I would be in if I went around naming my children after oh. things that I love? Yeah, Del Taco. Well, yeah, just think of like Nacho. Nacho Simpson. Nacho Simpson. Del Taco Simpson. Yeah. Yeah, not good. Well, I mean, what is something that you really love that you would never name one of your children? Meatloaf. Ooh. That was a singer, right? He still is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Debatable. Um, so there's a danger lasagna. In, in naming mm-hmm. your child after your favorite food. I agree. At Let least, alone I guess, your favorite restaurant. I guess at least it's not breadstick. Yeah. Or unlimited salad. <laughs> Terry's would be Dorito. Where? Dorito. That's the next child. Come to Papa. <laughs> you know, Poor speaking kid. of food. But you, you don't name your kid Olive Garden. No. Or Olivia Garden. No, and that's the thing. Like, if you if you're going to name them Olive Garden, go all the way. Name yeah. them Olive Garden. Don't try to mask it. Oh, it's Olivia Garden. Because mm-hmm. you're still going to explain to people. Oh, it's because we really love Olive Garden. Yeah, yeah. The rest of your life, you're tied to a franchise. So you've been speaking a lot about 
gauging uh, the amount of food that we eat by a meal that President Trump had. Yeah, I'm tired. I'm tired of the idea of calories. So I'm thinking it would be easier to to not um, uh, use it as. uh, (laughs) Sorry, I'm thinking it would be a lot easier if we just simply had uh, instead of. Five calories here, 100 calories here, 250 calories here. If you just made it easy by saying that's a Trump meal. Well, and a Trump meal, we know, everyone knows, is 2,500 calories. I have some wonderful news for you. What? The USDA is making a special announcement. What? Which I will play right now. When it comes to food consumption, Americans have grown accustomed to following the recommendations issued by the USDA. Why, for decades, it seems we wouldn't eat anything without first consulting pictures of pyramids and plates. But in today's fast-paced society, we don't have time to think about grains, oils, and legumes, or trouble ourselves with calculating ounces, calories, and fat content. Americans need something that gives them immediate perspective. And that's why the USDA is introducing a new food guide, the Trump Meal. One Trump Meal consists of two Big Macs, two filet of fishes and a chocolate shake. Now, instead of asking, how many calories? Americans can simply ask, how many Trump meals is it? Here are some examples. A large chicken salad. That's only one-third of one Trump meal. A bucket of large buttered popcorn with a refill. That's one and one-third Trump meals. And five taco salads with fried shells. Two Trump meals. By adopting Trump meals as your new health gauge, you'll be winning at life. And with all the time you'll save, you'll be able to send ten times the amount of tweets as before. Trump Meals, making America's plate great again. When you were growing up, did teachers, parents, or anybody ever ask you, what do you want to be when you grow up? Even we, when we are adults... Many of us still feel like we haven't quite found what we want to do when we grow up. Joining us to talk about uh, life and uh, wonder and wonderment is Amy Schaefer. She's given a TED Talk and about this question and claims that it is the wrong question to be asking kids, that instead maybe we should be asking them, what do you wonder about? She's here today to help share with us why a sense of wonder is an essential trait not only for children, but for all of us. And Amy, thank you so much for being with us. Thanks for having me, Matt. So you, I loved your TED Talk. I really, I mean, it was, it was just so well uh, thought out. And this uh, whole idea of wonder and wonderment, um, I, I really wonder if we ever take the time to think about what really invigorates us, about what we're supposed to offer the world. Teach us a little bit about Wondered and and how you came to this question about uh, what really, what do you wonder about? What what drove you there? Well, I think it, it refers exactly to what you're saying. It takes a little bit of time, <laughs> and that's something that a lot of our world is not necessarily built around uh, right now. And it also takes a trust and an understanding that what you have within you actually is critical to the world. And you might not, you know, always see things that readily value that around you. And that's part of the challenge. That's part of what actually I think 
diminishes our awareness of that because if you think about the things that you were that you kind of knew to some degree as a kid you know even though it wasn't as sophisticated potentially as the knowledge that you gained as you got older it reflected part of who you are that a lot of us have a difficult time um, connecting into now and that's really what brought me to uh i mean (laughs) my own discovery and rediscovery i guess i should say of wonder as an adult is i found myself missing that part of myself and it was affecting other parts of my life and my work where I didn't feel like I knew how to draw from that well of, of my own self and, and that affected the way I connected to others. And that's part of what set me on this path of trying to understand a little bit more closely what that is and why it affects us to so much to not have a connection to that. Mm. You, in fact, you you now have a, a great program, a, a, a nonprofit, I believe, uh, program called thewonderment.com. It's a website, mm-hmm. and you're out connecting kids and uh, from all over the world to this idea of wonder. First, I guess, explain for us and define for us what is wonder so everyone can kind of get up to speed on it. Yeah, so wonder is kind of a challenging thing to define, actually, which that's part of the, that's been part of my journey. But wonder, we kind of like to think of it as some kind of almost like airy fairy thing or, or just a, a more almost like a lighthearted thing, which it is. But it has this other side to it, which is based in inquiry and is based in questioning things. And if you think about the word wonder and how it's been defined, the, the history that that word draws upon actually reflects that and tells us about that, that it is it's inquiry and questioning the things that we see around us. And then it's the openness to allow ourselves to be changed and to allow ourselves to experience awe and experience um, things that we might not have anticipated. And I think that that's something that we, especially in a world where, you know, external circumstances around us are changing so rapidly. And um, it's something that is pretty crucial, it's a crucial capacity to maintaining a sense of, um, of groundedness in our lives. Mm. And you, I mean, the definition is so interesting um, because it, it comes from the same root. One of the root words of it is also uh, could be wound. Um, I think that's mm-hmm. the Ju- the German word is would be wound. And so, uh, but it's it's inquiry. It's the kind of it's the changing dynamics of our life. It's openness and. Um, when we ask a child what they want to do when they grow up, we it, it's almost like we create a more fixed world for them that they've got to choose, that there's this choice instead of this process of wonder. Exactly. And it's it's one of those things when that happens, it's at a pretty typically it's a pretty at a pretty crucial stage of development for kids where they're really trying to understand what their relationship is to this greater world that they see around them. And that's um that's a big part of when you are asking them and to think about the questions that we ask kids, because when you ask a fixed question like that, that not only is based on external, you know, an external state of what it is you want to be, and then also a future state of when you grow up, it actually teaches them to ignore the things that are present and in the moment within their own selves and see those as being of value in the world. Hmm. And so it really unmoors them from a sense of being able to navigate in the present moment and makes them dependent upon external circumstances, which, like I said, at this point in time are more kind of chaotic and fluid than I think that they've ever been. So we're really, when we, when we ask these fixed questions and when we back them up with 
things within the school system that really focus a lot of the attention on external results that are highly um, highly specific in nature rather than flexible and fluid and responsive. We do our kids a great disservice because we're really stripping them of the thing that would make them most able to understand and participate in the world as it consists right now. And, and then they end up being confused. Like, I mean, I think we've all kind of been there where the life is always about the future that I'm going to be living. And it's not even about what's going on in me. It's about this external state. And then all of a sudden we can't, we, we can't ever seem to live in the present and, and, and not have an answer. We always, we can't like wonder doesn't mean you have an answer. It just, it's, it's just continuous inquiry, isn't it? It's continuous not knowing. Well, and it allows you to find a lot of joy and a lot of uh, enrichment through the question process. And because the question process, yes, it yields answers, and that's what it's intended to do. But those can be experienced from a variety of different perspectives. And when you are in a state of wonder, when you're questioning and then also allowing yourself to be open enough to be changed, it's actually it creates a momentum in your life that I personally experienced as being pretty transformational. And, and I really, I do feel that that's something that is a pretty essential human ability. And to be honest, a, a gift that, that we don't tap into often enough because we've, we've forgotten it sometimes a long time ago. Mm. Isn't that interesting? Cause, and it's so subtle, almost ethereal. We don't, we don't pay attention to it. I, I always call it the space. It's the space between the bars that makes the difference. Uh, it's not the bars that hold the tiger in. It's the space between the bars that hold the tiger in. And we don't ever focus on the non, the intangible. We tend to, we tend to kind of hide from it. So you're saying we need to somehow, and this is the goal of the wonderment.com is to somehow instill in our children and ourselves that wonder again and allow this new space to exist. And it opens us up. Totally. And that's, I think that's the part, you know, with the wonderment and then also even with preparing for this um, with the TEDx Salt Lake City talk that I was able to give, I, I feel that if you think about the, the it requires some amount of permission. Yeah. And I had to learn how to give myself that permission to recognize those spaces as you were talking about. And even if you think about music, I love using music as an analogy for this because it's actually the silence that exists in music that allows the 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 notes to have any sense of significance. And so I feel like that is, and we've, you know, with the wonderment, that project was, is based around just connecting kids directly to each other from all different cultures, all different places, and allowing them to have a space where they're not being told by necessarily by adults, what it is they should be thinking or what it is they should be achieving, but rather turning the tables a little bit and, and allowing them to speak directly to each other. And then us as adults standing by and watching what emerges from that, because I think that just just shifting that perspective a little bit, I think will bring the answers that our world really needs right now. And it's, you know, ironic that that answer is to learn how to question again. It is. And and remain open and give permission to question. Exactly. It's uh, so. So when you've done this around the world, what what answers do you see coming um, from these children as they are wondering together? Well, I think that it is one of the things that has been really interesting to me is building trust in that because it's it's nice to say and it's you know obviously in the form of a message 
I, you know, when I talked about what do you wonder about, there's a reason why that kind of makes, you know, adults or kids feel a little bit uncomfortable at first. Yeah. And you don't really have a ready answer because you haven't been asked that question that often. And so it takes a little bit of time. And with working with kids, you know, especially, you know, depending on their backgrounds, um, they might not be ready to give you an immediate answer and in words and in words that you as an adult well, understand and respect and, and want to take action on, you might need to be a little bit more soft yourself and looking and how you observe. And so I feel like learning how to look for how someone is telling you that, whether they're a kid or an adult, maybe in the things that surround their lives and starting to ask questions about those things. It may not be as directly and as obvious as what do you wonder about. You may need to find an endpoint that you can start with and then walk to that place together because it takes, I think it takes a lot of trust in your own self and in others to be willing to share that part of yourself with the world, especially, like we said, where there's not a lot of obvious support systems for how that would take place. No, that's so true. And I also it's it's funny that even asking that. So if somebody came up and, and asked me, so what do you wonder about? You, mm-hmm. Like you said, there's that awkward moment, but that awkwardness just all that is is telling us we're not familiar with this part of our lives or we're not familiar with being this vulnerable or we've never totally. we haven't allowed it in each other so i mean it's funny we we just have this compelling need to know don't we like we we like the we like the question so what do you do so that then i now can can just state something and be done but it doesn't bring us closer together that question That's exactly right. And that's actually, you know, in my journey towards, you know, ultimately kind of culminating in my experiences with the wonderment, I feel like that was something that I felt at varying degrees lacking along the way. And I've worked with great people and great companies around the world that I I found that space missing. And I found my own life, my own personal life, starting to uh, reflect that that gap and it becomes a bit of a blind spot in a way where, you know, we're charging ahead with business as usual and thinking that maybe that, that approach will ultimately, you know, give us an answer to this longing that we have when really the answer is, is there all along. We just have forgotten to how we access that and we've forgotten how to, you know, learn from our kids. They, they teach us how to access that in a lot of cases if we, if we're willing to observe because, they do, and, and I feel like that's been the most rewarding part of this for me personally is I feel like I've simultaneously been led back to that place in myself, but in doing that, I've actually been able to create pathways for kids to trust that and actually move into the world with a more confident um, awareness of that part of themselves. It's I, I totally respect you because um... – it's hard. I work on relationships, so I'm always teaching about relationships and the space between a couple. Or And I feel like I'm constantly educating on an idea that isn't as tangible maybe as other ideas. But your idea, Amy, about wonder and wonderment, it's even less tangible. <laughs> and And yet you're trying to then organize a system and a team and a website to somehow go create it, but you you also can't you can't so define it or you actually eliminate it, Ruin it. it's that's I don't know how you've done it. <laughs> welcome to the deep challenge of your uh, world this particular work, but it is the reward is correspondingly rich, and I think yeah. that that's what keeps me at it is. It is frustrating at times, and, I, and it helps me understand how kids might feel 
because it is frustrating at times to try to articulate something that you you know in and of itself to be able to actually be of any value or benefit to the world has to has to be approached on its own terms mm-hmm. because it's trying to teach us how to reform our ways of thinking. Yeah. And so and reforming ways of thinking as I'm sure you know and you know and as, as you talk about often I feel like on the show is it's it's a it's a very open you can't do it anywhere outside of the present and you can't right. do it anywhere outside of just being very connected within that moment and there are not there are not too many things in the world I mean if you think about our focus is to much of our focus is to build efficiency and you know the way that we think we build efficiency is through these external metrics when really the thing that would most effectively and um, sustainably bring closeness uh, I think imagination all these things into our world would be to actually be comfortable with being in that moment Mm. and and that's I it's difficult to learn I feel it's been a very humbling process because it's shown me, and I'm by no means uh, can I say that I've mastered this, but I, I've had to learn how to slow myself down and really think from a different place. Yeah. And, and like I said, I think that when we get closer to that place, kids recognize that. I don't even know fully how, but they, I think they recognize a kinship with that because that's, they haven't left that, not to, you know, not yeah. to, Make, they haven't left that behind. No, you know? that that's their that is their wheelhouse. We it's they so just wrong. haven't they haven't been warped out of it yet. It's like we mm-hmm. we we've kind of been warped away from the wonderment um, where they've they they it's they grew up in it. And then so you're saying figure out a way. We need to return to the children and return to their kind of paradigm of everything doesn't have to add up and everything doesn't have to make sense. I mean, I remember totally. vividly as a little kid playing with uh, a, like a, a little um, – I can't remember what he was – like an army man that would fit on a Lone Ranger horse. But the horse was like 50 times bigger than the man, but <laughs> it all worked. It all worked. And then some totally. uh, some adult would come in like, well, that guy doesn't even fit on that horse. And I'm like, what? Mm-hmm. Of course he does. He's fine. <laughs> it's um, – by the way, have you ever studied much of dialogue theory? A bit, and I've actually been. That's yeah. And one of the things that's interesting about this journey is you start realizing that people in various different forms yeah. have said different parts of this mm-hmm. and have given us these some tools, these pointers to this place. Yeah. yeah, it's a really. It might give you a lot of tools about inquiry, how you can, how to inquire, and how to just attend and suspend your thinking. And it's got a lot of principles that. My, it's the language you're using. Um, anyway, I'd, I'd continue to look into that. But I, I love Absolutely. what you're doing. Again, we're speaking with Amy Schaefer from the website, thewonderment.com. And really, a, a beautiful idea, which is, is simply um, allowing children, and I, really all people, I think, in the end, to, to, um, to just go to a place where everything doesn't have to add up and be perfect, where you can... Constantly be inquiring, learning, stretching, growing, changing, where we're open and we're present. Um, and it's kind of dealing more with our internal world than forcing the external world. Um, Amy, as, as, we, as we talk about it too, what can we do as parents um, to, to maybe make this wonderment and make these connections with our kids 
um, deeper and allow this space to live longer? Well, I think that there is, I think the majority of the things that we do that actually pull kids out of the state, at least on the side of parents, are born from a place of worry or fear that like if they, if we don't, you know, get them on the track of figuring out and like testing, like getting all these things in, in order, getting our ducks in a row, so to speak, that we will be doing our kids a disservice or that they'll be left behind or these, you know, whatever things, whatever form that particular fear takes in your mind. And I think that that's the simplest thing. That's the place to start um, is to actually look at that fear and question it and, and ask why it is that you are feeling that and, and before responding to it immediately, because that immediate response and that space before response um, is everything. Hmm. And I think that when we talk about, um, you know, when we talk about, it's not to say that we have to throw everything out the window that is logical or, or, you know, like we said, efficient of making sure that they get the things that they need, but maybe look at it and ask, is there a way that would actually reflect what this child is, is wanting to share with me or with, or, you know, the world that they inhabit because the thing that's so interesting to me is recognizing that there's actually the efficiency of us meeting kids in the place that they are is that there is there's no resistance to let you know if you if you look at a kid when they're really determined or when they're like or when they're really focused on something they're genuinely interested in that so often that determination and that work and that those other things flow from that place and so rather than trying to you know, enforce it or inflict it from an external place, just taking that beat of silence and a pause and really asking, how can I get aligned with this child? And then from that place, and then that's going to bring you to that place as well. And you, I can tell you from my experiences, you will be amazed what you find there. And mm-hmm. it will, you'll go into the world sharing different things with other people because of that exchange as well, which I think is also a big part of what our world needs. So we could solve some of the issues that we're confronting with the you know current challenges in our education system as well as some of the other big big problems that the world faces i think from that place of just of asking that question and then allowing yourself to be uncomfortable and get in that place with a kid yeah no beautiful beautiful stuff amy i i so applaud what you're doing and i i respect it deeply because it's i think there is so much power uh, in that going inward instead of always going outward. And, and we always seem to be, you know, wanting everything structured and fixed and organized and, you know, somehow named and labeled. But uh, if we could go in and meet the kids where they are and let them teach us what they're seeing, what they're wondering, it actually might help us, you know, reverse engineer success in life. Amy Schaefer's her name. The name of the website, thewonderment.com, wonderful organization. Uh, that's bringing people together in wonder and awe. We'll continue the journey, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. It is Pearl Harbor Day, 76 years since Japan's surprise attack on Hawaii, killing 2,403 soldiers, sailors, and civilians, and it thrust us into World War II. So uh, here to help us talk about it uh, and remember it, Leanna Tan, one of our great producers. Hello, Leanna. Hello. How are you? I'm doing pretty well. You uh, you having a good uh, Pearl Harbor day? I mean, I have a headache, but that's yeah. the least of my worries. Yeah, I mean, you mean, get in line. You're a college student nearing finals. 
You're almost done. You're almost done with the entire journey, by the way. I know. I'm almost done here. Now you got to grow up. I know. I don't know how to do that. You know, there will be a day that we will actually throw you out of the nest. Don't tell me that. And you'll have to fly. Don't tell me that. Don't be nervous (laughs) because we'll we'll have a padded landing if you need it. Um, So talk to us about Pearl Harbor. Yeah, I was looking online, you know, as always, surfing the web. And I went to Mm historyonthenet.com and learned a couple things. And I found this cool tip sheet thing they had about some unknown facts about what? Pearl Harbor. This so is let cool. Me t- did you guys know all of these? Let I'm me sure enlighten not. you all. Yeah, please. Okay. So the first one is, an American newspaper helped provoke the Japanese. So on October 31st, the United States, or sorry, the United News, um, which was the predecessor of the U.S. News and World Report, printed a spread that showed how easy it would be for the United B-17 bombers to blow Japan off the map. And so I guess oh boy, that was kind of fueled. I don't know. According to this, it then fueled that, their decision. That you know? got them saying, "Okay, we've got to go do this surprise attack." Yeah, apparently. Oh man, apparently interesting. Like, yeah. Good job, newspapers. <laughs> yeah, and then this um, another one I thought was interesting was that the White House decoded a Japanese war declaration the day before Pearl Harbor, which right. I some people knew that. That's yeah, I heard interesting. That. So Japan sent a message to its embassy on December sixth to inform diplomats to prepare for the declaration declaration of war and the white house intercepted the message and decoded it but fdr did not warn his command at pearl harbor i found so many articles about how everyone was so unprepared for this and and how they could have been more prepared yeah but there's well it would have had to have been like uh, every pilot would have to die right there wasn't the ability to just fly in drop it kill bomb and then get out and then Go refuel. They didn't have that ability. So it was such a surprise that anyone would dare do this. Yeah. And they dared. Yeah. And uh, this is this one I thought was really interesting is Japan almost seized Hawaii. What? I mean, yeah. Yeah. So it says Admiral uh, Chuichi. Do yeah, right? I don't know. Nagumo failed to launch a third wave to destroy oil tanks and dry docks. If Japan launched the third wave, they would have captured the islands. So the U.S. began to issue currency stamped Hawaii to servicemen on Oahu so that the Japanese could not spend it elsewhere in case they did capture the island. So I guess we were very Oh, interesting. Having, it was that close yeah. to losing Hawaii. Yeah. And I've actually been to that monument. Like, Because yeah. I've lived beautiful? in both. Yeah, I've been in Hawaii, Hawaii and Japan. And I mean – the, and not to make light of the situation, no. but I'm I'm kind of glad for the effusion of cultures. No, totally. Now, oh, right. I mean, musubi. Yeah. I don't know, have you ever heard that? No. Delicious. Is it? It's like rice with like spam on top. Like, kind of oh. like sushi, but not yeah, sushi. Yeah, like a spam sushi. Yeah. It's really Sounds good. Sounds delectable. And they have these like slushies with red bean paste in the middle. So it's like slushy American thing, Ugh. Japanese bean paste. No, but, it, but you <laughs> like good. it. You it's like good. it. And they put ice cream You in. lived in Japan. I lived in Japan. And you lived in Hawaii. I did, both. And so you I lived loved everywhere. Both yeah. <laughs> That's neat, though. Any other facts we need to know about? Uh, there's plenty of them, but I thought this one was also interesting. The Pacific Fleet moved to Pearl Harbor for protection. So Admiral Richardson moved his Pacific Fleet to Pearl Harbor because he believed that the shallow water would protect ships from aerial torpedo attacks. Oh, interesting. Oh, no. Not a good move. Well, let's t- he really moved him there because it's Hawaii. Yeah. Who wouldn't want to? That's why I moved myself there. So. I mean, I'd want to join the Navy just for that. Yeah. But no, not really. It's too much. They're hard workers there. Um, anything else? Give us one more little ditty. Okay. How about uh, this one? So 
1897, America had a plan to impede Japanese power. So first conceived as early as 1897, America's contingency plan for the rise of Japan as a modern military power was named War Plan Orange. The plan mm. was updated on a regular basis to reflect the size of U.S. and Japanese fleets. So, wow. <laughs> See, there are a lot of little facts we didn't know about. Yeah. A lot of things I didn't know about. Well, no, and you've studied <laughs> and lived there. Yeah. But exactly. you bring up a good point. We now have bean paste in one of our drinks. I know. <laughs> a great fusion of cultures. I don't know. Maybe that, I don't know that that was one of the greatest areas of fusion of culture. <laughs> to me, I think the Sony Walkman oh, yeah. became one of the greatest. There you go. I don't know if it was a fusion or what. Uh, well done, Leanna. Thank you. Keep up the great work. Leanna Tan's her name. You're not going to want to miss her. She's going to be out in the world killing it. <sighs> killing it. She knows it. Go take care of your headache. We'll continue the journey up next. A little empty news with Jeff Simpson. Time now to hit some empty news with Jeffrey Simpson. What's up, Jeff? So uh, this got me thinking, you know, we were talking about missiles and attacks on Pearl Harbor. Yeah. Uh, if you were given the chance, would you spend the night in a uh, Cold Era or a Cold War Era missile silo? Um, no. Would I have to take my scout troop? <laughs> no, I wouldn't. So this is in Kansas. There's a Cold War-era missile silo uh, that housed a nuclear warhead 65 years ago. Oh, wow. And was later converted into an underground mansion. Oh. And now it's finding a new lease on life. That might be as cool. As an Air, uh, Airbnb location. You can stay in a missile silo. I, I mean, that might actually be really cool. Put that on your bucket list. You would do it? I would do it now. You wouldn't be scared that maybe there would be some no. wiring or something somewhere mm -hmm. that might... As long as the missile's not there, I don't think it says. Because yeah, I don't want I don't want that. But talk uh, about an alarm clock, though. What a what a great wake up call. Three, two, <laughs> one. <laughs> this door is open. <laughs> yeah, that would that would be a, a wake up call. But to me, that would be a really fun experience. Put that on your list of things you've done in your life. That's cool. Would you do this if you ever got frustrated? Would you ever, would you ever take a uh, flamethrower and take it to your VW? Oh, yeah. You would? Yeah. Really? I think that would be really I, fun. I don't know that the insurance companies would help you out, though. Why were they that. doing that? So it's this Illinois woman who took a, a flamethrower to her Infinity SUV, and uh, she's 47. She's from Barrington. She was charged with arson, disorderly conduct, and filing a false police report. She oh, reported boy. her 2016 Infiniti QX70 uh, stolen, and then firefighters found the vehicle ablaze at the end of a dead-end street near a precious metal refinery. Really? Yeah. So she was trying to pull a fast one. Yeah. Didn't really work. Ha! It never does. No. If it wasn't for those darn kids. What did they used to say on Scooby-Doo? I would have gotten away with it, too, if it weren't for those meddling kids. They're always meddling. Always meddling. Yeah. Yeah. Ah, oh, those meddling kids. I don't kids. think kids meddle today. No. No, now they just they just play on their phones all day. That's saying something when you wish that kids would get into more meddling. I'd give anything if my kids would meddle. 
and that's not even in the Olympics. Hey, we got another hour straight ahead, folks. You're not going to want to miss it. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the program. Dr. Matt here, along with Jeff and Terry. We're gathered. The gang is here. Anxiously, I guess, awaiting, not really anxiously, but awaiting uh, Al Franken. Senator Al Franken uh, has an announcement to make in about 40 minutes from now. Mm -hmm. He's having a new Christmas special with his friends at Saturday Night Night Live. He's going to host. He's got new gear. Yeah. We know he has friends over there, so maybe it's possible. He may, yeah, he may have, he may need it because he, he may be leaving the Senate. Amid uh, sexual misconduct accusations, I guess uh, at least eight or at least six women that it says here have accused him of touching them inappropriately. And there, uh, yesterday was seven and eight came out. Oh, boy. So. <sighs> and that's, and that's why all of a sudden there was just a landslide of people. And there, I guess the reason was there was a group of female senators, Democrats, yeah. who got together and they said, OK, the next one, that's it. That's because, it. Because he had addressed many of them, and then he stopped talking about the, the like he had, he addressed like one and two, and then the rest of them he just kind of it went quiet. It seemed like, and they said, "We will step forward and say he needs to step down if this goes any further." And it did yesterday. So they they, they is, all step forward. But why is eight the magic number? Why does it have to be well, no, eight they women? Were, they were going to wait for the the ethics uh, committee hearing was going to happen, right? And so they're going to let the process do it. Without mm. having to be, you know, step forward. But then they said this now, is too far. Up to now, to thirty-two Democrats have signed on and asked him to leave, including Chuck Schumer. Mm-hmm. Like, you, you need to leave, Senator Franken. Isn't it interesting though that all these women that worked with him on Saturday Night Live banded together and and came to his defense? And that's the a type of working environment where people, I imagine, would be very familiar with each other. Yeah, they would see each other undressing all the time because they've got to make these quick Backstage. costume changes, and yet they came in into his defense. Wow, it's it also it's interesting because. It does show you the power of politics in a way. 32 Democrats are now saying Al Franken's allegations from at least six to eight women. Um, that's too much, Kate. And boom, you're gone. Republicans came out uh, about Roy Moore and, you know, a bunch of them were talking really strong. And then a lot of them, if not all of them, kind of backed off. And now Roy Moore is is still running for Senate. And, you know, there. I guess the assumption is once he gets into the Senate, then the Senate will do something. Right. Depending, whatever. But you, so right now you don't see the Republicans crying too much about it. The Democrats are and actually doing something about it. But back in Clinton's day, the Republicans were crying all about it. And the Democrats weren't doing anything. Mm-hmm. So I guess this is just politics as as normal. Politics of the moment, yes. Wow. Yesterday, Senator Ben Sass of Nebraska. Sassy Sass. He sent a warning to the National Republican Senatorial Committee that if they offer support to Roy Moore, he'll withdraw from it. Really? 
Assass expressed a great disdain over Moore given the serious allegations against him, and he's not happy about the RNC's bad decision to give money to Roy Moore's campaign. Hmm. He says, uh, it's a very bad decision, very sad day. I believe the women and RNC previously did also. What's changed, or is the party just indifferent? That's He says, this sends a terrible message to victims. It's not that the party won't believe you if you come forward. It might, but it just doesn't care. Yeah. And then he says, the political party must be about more than expediency. To have any future, a party must have some fundamental convictions and commitment. Isn't this... That, by the way, that's some pretty – that's a sassy sass right there. That's pretty bold. Now, this is the committee that members of the Senate will raise money so they can support other people running. And he's saying, I'm going to withdraw all my fundraising, all my support. You're not getting it for that. Uh, so meanwhile um, – and there probably uh, – there shouldn't be a number that we ever have to get to before right. we start to believe these women – but again, um, now people are crying out, what happened to the 16 women that accused Trump of sexual misconduct? And does that matter anymore? Mm. Eight or so with Franken, plus every other name now that's come out. It's, uh, it's just, you know, it there, just opens no, up a lot of no questions. There's no standard here. No. It seems to be depending on who can help us the most and do we really want to – Throw him under the bus. Mm-hmm. Sass goes on. He says, uh, he told reporters today, it's pretty obvious that these political parties stink. They are terrible. The American people aren't impressed with these parties. They don't think they have their long-term future uh, interest at heart, and we shouldn't keep pretending that there is some sort of binary choice that's going to fix this. More people should stand up and admit that these choices are terrible. There you go. That's a great way to put it. And he'll run as an independent. <laughs> Well, he's not, but I mean, that's the kind of but thought that goes that direction. There will be some backlash, too. I mean, if more and more people really don't believe in this process, then, yeah, there will be more independence. And a lot of – it just seems like they're going to end up losing more power. Mm. I mean, they'll still have their power, but if no one's watching you, no one's paying attention and no one cares, maybe there won't be money there. Maybe there won't be – yeah. I don't know. Something's going to get something's got to give. Uh, let's get to the headlines, Terry. What else should we be paying attention to? President Trump's decision to recognize Jerusalem as the capital of Israel came after persisting prodding by wealthy donors who supported him during his campaign. The New York Times reports while uh, while Trump on Wednesday touted the move as a necessary step towards world peace in the Middle East. His frequent meetings with Republican mega donor Sheldon Adelson in the months before the decision suggest he may be trying to please supporters. Hmm. Adelson, a longtime donor of pro-Israel groups and advocate for moving the U.S. embassy, has reportedly phoned a friend 10 days before Trump took office and announced the soon-to-be president had promised to uh, make the matter a priority. Adelson, who donated $20 million to a political action committee that supported Trump's campaign, pushed Trump to keep his word and move the embassy. Trump was reportedly also under pressure by representatives of evangelical Christian groups. Ahead of his announcement Wednesday, the White House held two calls with religious leaders to inform them of Trump's decision. With major Trump allies like Ralph Reed, the founder of the Faith and Freedom Coalition, and Mike Evans, a Christian Zionist, among those to be given a heads up according to the report. Now, Secretary Tillerson and Secretary Mattis at State and Defense, they both said, don't do this. Yeah. It's going to cause so much problems. Our people, our soldiers, our diplomats are going to be in harm's way because of this decision. And Trump went ahead and did it. It's, by the way, every... The Pope Pope came out and said, don't do this. don't do this. (laughs) 
But it's just, the Pope. Just who's, who's the Pope? Let it be. But but you also had. I mean, every president has talked about doing it from Clinton on, and they all talk about doing it probably because the wealthy, you know, people that right. are supporting them. And then none of them do it. Then they get into office and realize that if you want peace, you have to have both sides at the table. And this just pushes the Palestinians away. Yeah. They're not going to talk to you now. But uh, I don't, didn't you just automatically assume it was because of his supporters? Yeah. I mean, I, again, I'll hold true to this. I'm not sure President Trump has an intact philosophy that he makes his decisions by unless it's going to serve him. Mm -hmm. And right now this must serve him. Not even the country, per se, but it serves what his next move is. Right. So we'll do that. I mean, and there's a, there's a reason it's happening now uh, versus six months ago. And it's maybe just distraction. It's just mm-hmm. a really good world global distraction. Robert Mueller over there. Yeah. Just changed. Yeah. And then when this kind of dies down, then he'll bring up North Korea again. There you go. And back and forth and back and forth. <laughs> President Trump told reporters ahead of a cabinet meeting Wednesday that a government shutdown over the spending bill could happen and said if it does, it'll be the Democrats' fault. The Democrats are really looking at something that is very dangerous for our country. They are looking to shut shut it down. They want to have illegal immigrants pouring into our country, bringing with them tremendous crime, and we want people to come into our country, but we want it on our basis. I want to vet those people. I want to vet them very carefully. Careful vetting. The shutdown could happen, and even though he controls the White House, and then you have Republicans controlling the House and the Senate, it's the Democrats' fault. But And and many are saying the only person talking about a shutdown is President Trump. Mm -hmm. The Republicans and Democrats are kind of working on it. But Trump keeps bringing it up. What's that about? Christmas wishes? I don't know. You know what? It's like all of us. How many of us wouldn't love a little shutdown for a bit? Like, let's just shut down... Shut down broadcasting for a couple weeks. <laughs> Have a break. Nah, can't do it. U.S. Ambassador to the United Nations Nikki Haley raised concerns about whether American athletes will attend the 2018 Winter Olympics, calling the matter an open question. In an interview Wednesday night, she said officials are worried that the increasing volatile situation with North Korea may endanger Americans at the Olympics, which are set to take place in South Korea in February. Hmm. That'd be a bummer if you were like... You Ready prepare to play and all this clean. time. I'm yeah. clean. I wasn't at Sochi. Sochi. I'm clean. Nope. Sorry. So we'll see. We'll see if we compete in the Olympics. Did anyone talk to NBC? They've put a lot of money into this. Oh, boy. <laughs> it's all based on American TV ratings. Yeah. And then we don't show up. Uh, and finally, a high-end British retailer is offering its customers an unusual and perhaps unnecessary luxury, seedless avocados. Hmm? Really? Uh, this side of the Guardian on Thursday, they say the retailer Marks and Spencer believes that the seedless, as they call it, cocktail avocado, will reduce the risk of people hurting themselves while cutting open the fruits. <laughs> Scoff if you must, Matt, as you just <laughs> scoffed. But apparently, avocado hand is such a prevalent problem in the UK that the British Association of Plastic Reconstructive and Aesthetic Surgeons think that the avocados need safety labels. One plastic surgeon even told the BBC that he treats about four patients a week at a, at a hospital with, a, uh, with avocado-related mishaps, most of which occur when the knife wielder, the, as I say, the hapless knife wielders, attempt to remove the fruit's pit. Look. A huge part of the cocktail avocado's appeal is that it's nearly impossible to wound oneself while cutting it open, giving it has no pit and possesses an edible skin, meaning it can be eaten whole. Just eat it like an apple. 
Right. If you happen to be an avocado lover in need, you can get your pack of knife-safe avocados for less than $3 mm-hmm. at this store, which is, uh, as this writer puts it, a far more impressive feat than the fact that the fruits are seedless. It's 3 bucks. I mean, I think obviously— They come out of Spain, by the way. It, God made them that way so that people would apparently hurt themselves. Yeah, trying to remove that pit from the avocado, yeah, it, it's it's just the pits. If you can't remove a pit without losing a finger, you probably ought to swear off of avocado. Right. <laughs> right? It's the same thing as bagels. Like what? Are we going to get a, a bagel that automatically, once it's cooked, it's just perfectly cut in half? No. You have to dare See, to hold the bagel bagels, and cut it in half. Bagels aren't really slippery like avocados are. Oh, aren't they? I'll bet you there are more bagel accidents cutting their hands than avocado accidents. Mm, I'll bet more bagels are served. People can cut a Worldwide. bagel with a plastic knife, though. You can cut a you can cut an avocado with a plastic knife. You'll shred the avocado. What are you going to do when you finally? Cut that avocado in half, and then you jam the knife in that pit and twist it. That's that joy of that moment is gone. If you have these <laughs> cocktail avocados, but we've talked about this on the show. Avocado hand, yeah, is a problem in 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 England. They're apparently just chopping into the meat of their hand constantly. Well, stop it. There's there's still ninety eight percent of us that don't do that. But now they have a seedless version. Do you enjoy a seedless watermelon? Yes. So why are you against a seedless avocado? Because you're messing with nature. So was the seedless watermelon, you're you're okay with that? Yeah. I actually never thought about it because I don't think about stuff like that. But you were quick to answer. You're like, yes, sure, absolutely. Everyone loves a seedless watermelon. We can't protect everybody in the world from their ignorance. We can try. We can try. No. What it is, let me just let me let you in on this. Yeah, yeah. It's just another marketing company mm-hmm. trying to figure out another way to market a new product. So they inflame the world thinking that we have this horrible epidemic yeah. of avocado hand. Yep, absolutely. And it's not real. I mean, no, I have no doubt people cut their hands, but they've been doing it on bagels. They've been if you've ever tried to cut a watermelon, that's hard too. I mean, people get maimed doing a lot of stupid stuff. And we can't we can't prevent that. They get this one doctor says he gets four people a week who chop into their hand because they're trying to cut open an avocado. There is no way that's happening. <laughs> you know what I would love Where to hear. Where does he work on an avocado? You know, cutting <laughs> field. He works at the uh, Chelsea and Westminster Hospital. That's not. There's no way that's true. I would love I mean, our, our seriously. List. <laughs> It'd be great if our listeners would tweet in and say whether or not they've been maimed. While listening to the Matt Townsend show, oh no, I've it had has to, to have happened. No, I've we've had lawyers call. Oh wow, really? Yeah, because we keep saying, "Hey Alexa," mm. and then all the Alexas turn on, and then one guy, one woman, cut her hand cutting an avocado. I guarantee you, it happened yesterday. Oh yeah, when you tweeted out that that uh, hand drawn picture of me, mm-hmm. somebody was rendering. Hmm. It was a rendering. Somebody was, really was a, horrified. Was a portrait. Was a the portrait. knife slipped and cut their hand. What about uh, trampolines? 
So all my friends that are emergency room physicians say, ah, trampolines, I get 500 trampoline injuries a week. You should ban all trampolines. Yeah, right. By the way, totally true. Ban them. Hmm. We've got one. Yeah. So do I. So buyer beware. I say ban them because I – my first year with the trampoline, I had to take the trampoline down because you don't want snow getting on there and ruining yeah. the trampoline. Um, that's a pain trying to take that thing yeah. down and Let put it just, away. I don't I, want to do that again. You want some advice? Oh, I'm not taking it down. No, don't take it down. Yeah, I took it down. I haven't taken mine down for 30 years. It's fine. I took it down. But mine's – it's all stretched out. Mine's like – mine's less of a trampoline and it's like a hammock. It's a trampa-hammock. Trampa-hammock. But the kids love it. Very bouncy. Trampa hammock, that kind of makes it sound like it's on the move and it's... Trampa hammock. You know, it yeah. doesn't have a home. Yeah. It's kind of a... New sponsor, Trampa hammock. Yeah. It's kind of like a hobo. It's a hobo tramp. <laughs> trampa hammock. So, again, I'm not... I just think this is an example of hype. I think a seedless avocado is a very interesting development. I think it's a neat idea. That's great. The idea of just grabbing an avocado and just eating it, not but, worrying about the, the no, skin. I love or, that. I love, but don't pretend like this is a, a health issue. It is. This is a safe, not public a health safety is, is totally the idea here. This company created this version of an avocado thinking of public safety. Bull. They're thinking of the bottom line. They're probably thinking like, man, that pit takes up a lot of room. If we had more avocado there That's instead of That's exactly pit, what they're thinking. You can make more avocado toast. And I think it's great. They're innovating. That's wonderful. Mm. But don't pretend like, you know, I get five or six uh, people cutting their hand with avocados Let's every week. Let's not pretend. That is in the- That's not true. The BBC doesn't lie. They just did. Because think of it. Mm. I mean, I get it. If you are the doctor for an avocado cutting farm where all they do is cut avocados 24-7 and you have 500 people, I would get that you'd get five a, five a day. Or f- is it a day or a week? A week, I think. A week. It. Yeah. I, I believe that. Other than that, there's not enough avocados being consumed for that to be happening. Well, there aren't that many available. Right. Come on. No. What do they think we are? There, There is, though. Turn your mic on. There is, though. There is a shortage because people love their avocado toast. I'm not sure. I get that. So I've never put it on toast. That, that, I think the area, the, the story I, we, uh, I read before is talking about how the hospital is near a restaurant district. Okay. So everyone's working in these restaurants. They're Hold cutting on. These up. professionally trained. Yeah, they're cutting themselves. Yeah. So give me a break. What? They're trying to help and solve a public health crisis, Matt. What are they going to do about bagels? Well, that's the next step. We'll get pre-cut bagels. Those are those mini bagels. Yeah. Those are good. You ever had those? Really good. With little pizza. Little pizza bagel bites. Mm. Pizza. Pizza in the morning. Pizza in the evening. Pizza at supper time. Boy. With pizza. You know what you reminded me of right there? You can have pizza anytime. Yeah. And it reminded me of the... Do you remember the talking fish? That you would walk by that Christmas gift and you walk by the Mako <laughs> talking fish or whatever it was. and What, not Mako, what was it called? Uh, Whammo talking sure. fish. And the minute you walk by it and it turns on, it just starts wanga, 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 and it makes noise. And then you have to wait for it to shut up before it then goes it, – it stops. So right when I said – Pizza or whatever you pizza, you, you turned on pizza like in the, the morning, pizza in the evening, pizza at yeah. supper time. And then I gotta wait. With pizza on the bagel, you. you can have pizza anytime. Yeah, and then we look at each other and like, oh, that's cute. That's a cute fish. <laughs> and then the next time we do it, 
Pizza. Oh, pizza in the morning, bah. pizza in the evening, bah. pizza at supper time. With pizza on a bagel, you can singing. have pizza any time. I'm not then, even sure if those are the right words. <laughs> uh, they are the right words. <laughs> then we always write the third time is when you walk over to that singing fish and turn it off. So I'm this close, Jeff, to getting out of my seat, walking around, and hitting that switch on the back of your neck. Don't do it. I'm going to do it. Don't, don't do it. Don't make me come over there. Because inevitably you'll just end up, you know, turning it to Spanish. That's true. And then you'll just hear it in Spanish. Unfortunately, hear- <laughs> no Spanish. <laughs> I was going to have you. Maybe you could do it in Russian next time. <laughs> hey, straight ahead, Jeanette Bennett will be joining us. Uh, we're going to be talking about how to enjoy the holidays as a busy mom or dad. How do you get through it all and, and keep your sanity about you? This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you learn how to turn off that singing fish. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. In studio with us is Jeanette Bennett. Hello. Jeanette Bennett is her name. She uh, is the publisher, editor of UtahValley360.com and four, five magazines. A little more than that. 17 <laughs> magazines. magazines. A lot really of glossy pages. Super talented. Life. Really, you are. You. But you're, you're very good at it. And um, if you go to UtahValley360.com, you can see all of her work and go to all of the magazines that she highlights there. But uh, Jeanette is all dolled up because she's going, going to a party. Going to a party, a lunch party. Are you for really? Christmas. And you're even going to go get your hair done. <laughs> you're revealing my secret. This is expensive. This well, is just a party. Well, but you've even got a little. What, are they, what do they call that? A little purse. It's a, little a purse. Clutch. A clutch. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I used to have a clutch on my Volkswagen, um, <laughs> but it's you're just decked out. Well, thank you. And then you got to go get your hair done. Well, see, you weren't supposed to say that is to it, the public. Are, don't we? Yeah, but no one will know. Just, <laughs> Nobody's listening right no, now. No, no one listens. And you'll just <laughs> walk in with all this glamour. Right. Does, see, we have we have some salons that run ads in our magazine for little tradesies. <gasps> And so I take so, my laptop. I, I consider it my other office, and I go. Diva, that's a great idea. I get some work done because you do a you'll do a big speech or something, and they've got to get your hair done. And I get ready. I get my little laptop going. I'm probably the most boring client because I don't talk to them. I'm not a small no, talk person. Me either. Yeah, I don't want to talk about the weather. I'm not here to chit chat. Or what I did, la- did last Just night. Just cut the hair. Yeah. Can you see? I'm typing. My fingers are <laughs> flying right now. Do you now. want a tip or not? Be quiet. Um, <laughs> well, that's cool. And so. That's how. That's one way to save time during the busy holiday season. Yeah, Ignore little, your hairdresser. Little life hack. <laughs> that's a total. That's a great life hack. Yeah. I don't like getting my hair cut. Do you? Um. Well. Or styled, or I don't. It's it's time I don't have. Yeah, but once I'm in the chair, you know, I'm I'm efficient. I'm getting things done. Yeah, you you do work through it. But don't they get hair and goo all over your computer? Well, I do have to close it when the actual cutting is happening. Oh. But other than that, once they're blow drying, which takes a while with long, thick hair, yeah. there's time. It's not good. Maybe you ought to just go to wigs. You can just <laughs> ship them out. I have thought about that. You know, I mean, they don't have to be out. washed. And no. You could have a few different styles. You could hang them on one, the line and one. just beat them with a mm-hmm. stick, get mm-hmm. all the dust out. Yeah. Wig, kinda... Yeah, no one could tell that I was wearing a wig, right? They always no. look natural. Yeah, they look The cheap so ones natural. especially. 
<laughs> the Halloween wigs. They look uh, so good. Yeah. Not I couldn't do that. Uh, Janetti, uh, tell me, what are we uh, what are you doing for the holidays? Because I know it's going to be busy. You still got to run a company. Got to run a company. I, I wish I could take December off. Um, you can't. I can't. Nope. The new you got a family. You got a life. Done. Yeah. Yeah. Got to be done. So there's a few things that I figured out to uh, kind of calm down and just make it work for me. Yeah. And some of this comes. We've done 17 holiday issues. I've been oh, doing wow. magazines for 17 years. And so throughout those years, I've interviewed a lot of people. We've featured a lot of beautiful homes, not mine. Yeah, My, my mine. home is not no, magazine no. ready. Oh, please. <laughs> no, but I, I love and appreciate people who do. Uh, I prefer going to events more than really worrying about the amazing decor. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, you, I decorate you like my going house. out instead of having to like deck it out. There you go. See, that's a good headline. Yeah, put that on the headline. That's next year's Christmas edition. Yeah. Just done. Copyrighted by Matt Johnson. Yeah. Okay. I'll send you the royalties. Yeah, send me the royalties. 18 cents. On that. <laughs> Is, uh, but I'm the same way. We don't tend to entertain at our house. We just are always going to something. See, that works. Other events need attendees. Mm-hmm. And you can be that. And I can be that. And some people love to do the entertaining. Right. But I don't like that because then you got to worry about everything. I know. When the neighborhood parties at my house or the uh-huh. you know, whatever, it's you, know, you have to clean. It's you stressful. have to think through all the decor and is your front door washed? Things I don't think about every day. I have never thought of that. <laughs> well, there you go. Those are you the kind of wa- things I think about. I've never washed our front door. Mm. Oh, you should brother. go home and see what kind of cobwebs are waiting for you. Aye, 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 aye. Your wife's taking care of it probably. I don't and know. Your, We're and your busy. ambitious children have probably no, washed the door no. this Mm-mm. morning. No. Doubt it. <laughs> Doubt it. No wonder no one knocks on our door. Um, so so one of the things you like to do is go out and, and you don't have to you don't have to not go out you and you don't have to invite everyone in and over. No. You can do a little mix. I think that's part of that's one of my tips I wanted to share today that I've learned from interviewing all these people is the holidays are a choice. I think when we feel stress, it's when we think everything is required. Mm. It's required that we host a party. It's required to give every relative a present, required to do Christmas cards, yeah. required, required, required. And I think we get to choose. Totally. You know? And so once you've made your choices, if you're not going to do Christmas cards, stop feeling guilty about it. Yeah. Okay. People will still send you some, maybe fewer oh, as yeah. the years go by. But it's, but you can choose not to, and yeah. or you can choose to do an electronic version. I mean, totally. there's a million different ways mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. Totally. So I think those are choices. And then I think it's cool to pick – like I, I know about a ton of events because we write about them, right? All these cute concerts yeah. and ballets and uh, light displays, and I want to go to all of them. Mm-hmm. But I have to say, okay, what are like the four things – that we're so, going to do, so whatever the number down. is. Yeah. Narrow it down and then try not to f- have the FOMO, the fear yeah. of missing out when you don't go to something. I mean, it, it's have you ever been to a light display and you get there and there's that moment of magic? Right. Beauty. And, and like 10 seconds later, you're like, oh, light. Oh, there's some more lights. There's an, more There's lights. more lights over there. And my hands are cold. There's some more lights. <laughs> yeah. It, and it kind of – it just – we're so used to being stimulated that once you've had the moment – Right. Then that's, I guess, the problem with us is we're always moving to the next moment. Mm-hmm. Maybe we need to learn to actually absorb the moment. Yeah. Enjoy. Just pause. Sit still. Enjoy the moment. Yeah. Enjoy your own Christmas tree on your living room couch for a minute. Oh, yeah. That's a great idea. Mm-hmm. And if you only had four events to go to, not 40, right? you would like you, – like you have probably a corporate event every day to go to. 
with all I your could. vendors. I could, yeah. And then you just have to get your hair done every day. <laughs> so time consuming to be oh, a diva. It's so exhausting. <laughs> you and Oprah, oh my gosh. So um, that, that's great advice. Keep it simple, choose a few things. And then go kill it. Go and go fully enjoy it. But yeah. then also enjoy the time just sitting on your couch. Yeah. Be present in whatever you're doing. I think another thing that especially moms do that makes holidays stressful is they spend too much time running around shopping yeah. for the family that they love but they're not seeing because yeah. they're just always gone. And and I don't love that. That just feels kind of wrong to me. Yeah, right. You're alone be- hiding away to give a present to a child. But, Who's crying because they miss you? Yeah, and, and you're met, not there because you're, you're going to the third Walmart because they don't have the mm-hmm. thing and whatever. Where's that Cabbage Patch kid? <laughs> I never got one of those, by the way. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. Still trying to recover. I'll, I'm going to look for one for you. That would be awesome. My mom handmade me a Cabbage Patch ish doll, which was really really, really? sweet. Yeah, what'd she it call really it? Was. Uh, well, it was supposed to be the Jeanette doll. Oh, so she beautiful. made it with my hair and things. It really is special. Hold on. So mom was collecting your hair? <laughs> Just cutting it, getting it off the floor from the hairdressers. Seems a little <laughs> strange, but what that's cute. But what a what a was it a was it like a real like did it have a doll face? It was it was soft, it was sewn, it had like quilt batting in the middle of it. Cute. Yeah, it was cool. I what have a, five sisters, so what she a great made us mom. all dolls that matched our personality. Yeah. I I mean, they were totally awesome. I hope we were appreciative because we all wanted Cabbage Patch dolls. Yeah, yeah. But she gave you the Jeanette doll. (laughs) Yeah, which is even better. Wasn't yours from the publisher series? So it was a publisher doll. There you go. That's a smart doll. That's a neat mom, though. But like like you said, she could have spent – she didn't, but she could have spent 50 hours getting this doll ready and you never see her. True. I mean, I think she did miss a lot of sleep trying to get those done. Can you imagine? Yeah. But she still was probably with you in the day and then it's staying up all night, yeah. Yeah, she was a great mom. Another memorable Christmas, actually, come to think of it, she made us pillowcases one oh, year, yeah. which is simple. Yeah. It was a simple year. It was one of those years that I don't know all the details because I was little. But yeah, keep hard it year, simple. Yeah. Hard year. Yeah. And uh, we got pillowcases. And I actually still have mine. And Do it's really? threadbare, but it means a lot to me because I just remember yeah. like that was – Love. That was love. That's cool. That was some sacrifice of time that she made it and had pretty lace on it and things. Mm. Those things mean more. Don't you think by far? Yeah. And yeah. by the way, the harder time. I know. Yeah. Yeah. See, there's, there's I, the, the only catch. I only remember the wooden spoon that my mom would always go grab. <laughs> anyway, that's a whole other story. <laughs> I'd like to hear more. Don't make me get the wooden spoon. Yeah. No, but the, the, there's always those really cool memories where you can tell they they did they really knew what you wanted and they mm-hmm. nailed it. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking that I had gotten my parents some really cool gifts. Yeah. And that Christmas, my excitement was the anticipation of them seeing. What Interesting. I got them. See, then then that's the maturity of the holiday. Yeah. Now it's what others are going to feel like. Yeah, I that's remember, cool. Yeah, that was memorable. Do you remember what the gift was? I want to so see. So my my dad is an outdoorsy kind of guy. We lived in Idaho. The Tetons were our little getaway. Yeah. You know? So he loved that. So I had I had bought this framed picture of the Tetons that I thought he would love. And to be tricky, I had wrapped this foam thing under the the tree. So if he felt it, it felt just squishy. <laughs> and then it had a note <laughs> of where the the picture, the picture was. I thought it was very clever. And then so my mom was a violinist as a teenager and in college. And then when she became a mom, it I never heard her play. It just gathered dust. And I got it out once and I could tell it was broken. And so I got it fixed. That's really cool. I, I hired this guy. It was, you know, before the a internet. So I'm maker. looking through the yellow pages mm-hmm. for 
Okay. Violin repairman. Was his name Geppetto? <laughs> I think I was 14 because I remember I couldn't drive. Wow. And uh, he called to say it was done. This was, the, this was the only sad thing. He called to say it was done to our home phone, and my mom answered. Uh, and so she delivered the message to me and acted like she was going to you know, forget about it, yeah. and we'd celebrate that moment later. Uh, <laughs> but I was so excited. That I is, thought that was pretty but thoughtful. But to be thinking like that at, <laughs> at 14 – yeah. yeah. Well, that's that's why it was a memorable Christmas. I don't think I replicated that yeah. any other year. <laughs> no, I think at 14, I got my mom a licorice rope. Well, see, so you got her something, and she probably loved it. Not really. <laughs> she went and got the wooden spoon. Yeah. I told I'm you. Get the wooden spoon. I'm allergic to licorice. <laughs> You're trying to make me fat. Um, that is – that's that's a cool story. And did your dad like the picture? He liked the picture. I think it's still somewhere in their house, actually. Of course it is. It's yeah. the Tetons, for heaven's sakes. Yeah. We hiked them. When I was 17, I hiked the Tetons with my dad and my grandpa and my cousin. That was memorable too. Notice that you're bringing up these memories mm-hmm. and the memories are – I mean you actually evolved to, at a very young age to be very adult-like. So about 14, you really were excited for what parents were getting. That's, I, I remember that for – yeah, for whatever I mean, reason. I know 40-year-olds that, that still aren't excited to see their parents' <laughs> face on a present. Well, well, and and uh, I, I'll admit some years I've I've really missed the boat and I probably haven't gotten my parents yeah. much. Call you, them on Christmas morning. What do you think you. about the gift card idea? Because to me, I mean, honestly, so many people, it's just practical and it works it and it's – and it's easy, but it's – I mean, I, can you – I guess you just – you can do it. It's just – Super easy. Everybody loves it. You know they'll use it. Yeah. Uh, it just seems sort of silly like at the family Christmas party when you're basically <laughs> passing gift yeah. cards left to right. I'll trade you a Home Depot uh-huh. for a Lowe's. Oh, wait. That's worth 50 I bought you 75 <laughs> <laughs> I want mine back. Maybe go when they have a good special. You can get twice as much. <laughs> That's right. They are easy, though. I don't give them to my kids really very much because I feel like for them, part of what, what I want to give them, I want to give them something that makes Christmas Day fun. Yeah. And so we try and have some games or give them some gifts that we can enjoy through the mm-hmm. day or a book or something so that by 2 o'clock they're not bored. Bored. With, yeah. With the scarf. Yeah. You know? Or they're, yeah. They're, they're, they, <laughs> hey, mom, these jammies were great. Yeah. What are we going to do now? Now what? <laughs> Can we go to a movie? Or, I mean, isn't it weird like when you give gift cards, but all you basically did was just exchange cash? Totally. It's like. But it, it feels slightly better than cash, though, don't you think? No, no, yeah. yeah. Well, because, yeah, it's almost got more hope around it. Like, I thought technology. Of you. Yeah. Best Buy. Uh huh. I thought of you for at least 20 seconds. Yeah. Where cash, if you pull out wadded cash from your. Wallet that might have been, you know, putting the envelope on the way in the door. Yeah, so, there's slightly more thought. In I the mean, don't get card. me wrong. I take a wad of cash anytime. Yeah, it's true. Any but store takes that. I would feel less cared for. Right. That's good advice. Anything else that can help us and the moms out there and any really any of us enjoy the holidays? So I think a couple of easy, quick things to bring some senses into it. Five senses. Yeah. Um, I have the sounds of Christmas on a lot. Have Christmas music going. Mm. So even if you're driving and you're busy and you're late to basketball practice or whatever, have some Christmas in the background. It helps a Good little idea, yeah. to soften it. And then I love the smells. Yeah. So even though I don't do a real tree the past few years, I like the candles and sometimes pine wreaths and mm-hmm. things that bring in the smell. And that just kind of makes you happy. When it beats the smell of your kids after a basketball game. <laughs> oh, it totally does. Totally. So you got to get the scents going. I... Uh, and the touch, like there's just certain things like the cozy jammies mm-hmm. or uh, just – I mean there's certain things that, that bring out – and your senses are a great way to do it because it brings out 
that time of year. Right. So I have this jingle bell leather strap of jingle bell things that I put on the front door for oh, the yeah. holidays. So it jingles yeah. when you open the door. And uh, my husband the other day named Matt, he, he said, do we really like the jingle bells? <laughs> do we need these to keep doing that? <laughs> like, I actually do like it. Makes me feel holiday, holiday that, cheer. Yeah. No, I, I like the bells. I mean, for a bit. Until the grandbaby gets it, and then it's like all you hear are bells. Okay. We're done with the bells. Thank you. Thank you. Take the bells. Um, What else? What else can we do to bring the spirit into the season? Uh, I think involving the family. So that's that's another reason that I think moms especially get stressed is we think everything's our job. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be, Mm -mm. right? If the family wants garland on the stairs, let's do it together. Let's do it. If we want to do Christmas cards, guess who's addressing them? Yeah kid with the best handwriting, hopefully. Uh, make it a family situation. And maybe even make a plan over Thanksgiving weekend or whenever works for you of picking the events together. Maybe let, if your son's not into ballet, let him pick something. Mm-hmm. Maybe maybe a basketball, basketball game, game makes him feel a lot of festivities. <laughs> and too, and, and get everybody. I, I just had somebody at my in my church group. I teach uh, 17-year-old kids. Fun. And he just went by himself to the Nutcracker. Really? And I'm like, that's – wow. And he's like, well, I have a friend that's in it and I that's was just sweet. supporting her. I'm like, wow. That's very culture. That's really – that's very culture. That is very, very good. And, I like uh, that. Yeah. So um, I guess that's the cool thing too is just be with your family. Be around mm-hmm. family. And then another thing I found is tell stories. Oh, I like that. Don't you think? Like your mm-hmm. kids need to hear about your Christmas and – like I don't – I heard Santa – Wow. I was in the basement and I heard him in our house. Ooh. I heard the bells cool. on Christmas Eve. Mm. And then that morning I ran out and I looked up on the roof. I kid you not, footprints from the reindeer Wow! on the roof. Mm. So you were a believer. I saw the whole thing. Yeah, you did. So then I knew and I could bear a witness. <laughs> to this day. That Santa lives. It was amazing. <laughs> I love it was, that. It was a really cool moment. Yeah. So, so I, you've shared that with your kids? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah. And they they think I'm strange, but they weren't there. <laughs> no, I know what I know. It. I you, saw what you I saw. saw. You can't deny that. Super cool. Yeah. So I think uh yeah, telling stories from your youth or from your early family years and then making new memories so that mm. you have stories for next yeah. year. I love that idea. Uh Jeanette, you did it again. We I know you I know you're in a big hurry to go get your hair done. <laughs> <laughs> Diva alert. <laughs> She's killing me for bringing up her hair. By the way, your hair looks perfect. I don't know that you need to spend money on it. Well, I have naturally curly hair. Yeah, me too. No, and <laughs> and um, I like it better straight, but other people straighten it better than I do. But it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. Yeah. yeah. Jeff does the same By thing. By the time I'm done straightening it, I need another shower because it's no, no, you're, hot yeah, and exhausting. Yeah. yeah. Working that dryer. <laughs> oh, but, dear. You, but you're ripped. That You've got some. No, I've got some biceps yeah. of steel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's amazing. Jeanette Bennett's her name. You're going to want to check out her uh, website, utahvalley360.com. All of her magazines there. I mean, it touches from everything from business to homes to, to uh, brides. Yep. To just Utah Valley stuff. To Parade of Homes. Parade of to Homes. direct selling. It's we everywhere. Got it covered. It's all there. And we're lucky enough to have her on the show regularly. She'll be back in a couple of weeks, I think, before Christmas. If I we think can. so. And we'll see if she's is she going to get her hair done that day as well. <laughs> Wait and see. Stick with us. BYU Sports Nation is up next.
Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Jeff Simpson on the hi-hat, tapping away. It's time, folks, to uh, take our suspenseful music down to the most suspenseful two people you've ever met. Spencer and Jerem and uh, BYU Sports Nation. And find out what's coming up on their show in just a few minutes. Hello, gentlemen. Hello, man. Dayo. Dayo. How are you guys? Uh... Yeah, doing all right. You okay? Jeff Simpson on the high hat. Doing all right. Do you hear yeah. Jeff going on the high hat? He's amazing. Jeff shave? Uh, yeah, just his legs though. Today, uh, today, what is it? Thursday? Yeah, Thursday's leg day. Friday, he'll get back to the face. But okay. Thanks okay. for asking. <laughs> okay. He just looked at me like, "What are you talking about?" Man, we have harassed Jeff really, really uh, hard. Don't you love him? The past few days. Yeah. <laughs> He's so sad, you guys. Hey, uh, I've got a. I've, um, let me. Let, he'll finish. He'll finish soon. Hey, uh, 16 days, gentlemen, 17 hours and nine minutes until Santa comes. But who's counting? Until Santa. How about Luke Skywalker? He comes in a week. I know. Everybody tries to put Luke before Santa, but it's not appropriate. Just so you know. Oh, my bad. Santa is a bigger, um, you know, he's a, he's a bigger, he's kind of like Oprah. He's that big. His demo's a little younger. Yeah, he demos younger. Totally true. Hey, okay, here's a question for you because we had a little uh, discussion about this earlier. Um, have you ever cut your hand open while opening an avocado? No. Jerem? No. Okay. I rest my case. Thank you. <laughs> Because there apparently is a new avocado out that is pitless that you can just uh, – that you, you can eat the whole thing. It's, it doesn't have this tough skin on it and it doesn't have a pit in it. And the whole thing is simply so you don't end up cutting your hand because apparently there's an epidemic in England about people cutting their hands open. Hmm. Right? And I'm like, that's not a real problem. And everyone here was arguing, no, it, it could be a real problem. And I'm could like, be or is. It, yeah, they think it is. They even quoted a doctor that says, we get four or five cases a day, uh, week. And I'm like, come on. It's just an avocado. A doctor. Yeah, right. One doctor that like apparently doctor works. doctor of medicine? Yeah. And he works on, a, on an avocado farm with apparently people that don't know how to use a it's knife. a doctor who works on an avocado farm. No, that's what I made up. But <laughs> where else would you be cutting your hand left and right? So, um, so I, I just wanted your confirmation of that. I mean, I think you're much more likely to cut your hand with a bagel, cutting a bagel open than you are, or actually with scissors trying to open one of those plastic covers on some electronic device. That seems like more likely to lose a, a finger. But uh, what, uh, speaking of losing a finger, what's going to be on your show today? Um, yeah, we'll, we'll hold on to all of the digits. So <laughs> that's good news. Thank heavens for that. And BYU slingshots an opponent Right back to normal. What? And we'll explain what that means. The Cougars beat Illinois State, and the theme of the season has been reaffirmed. Defense. Defense. Yeah. Yeah. Defense. What we learned last night, or more like what we had reaffirmed last night with BYU beating Illinois State, Terry Nashif, last year's offensive coordinator of sorts for BYU basketball, no longer coaching. He'll join us and tell us what he thinks about this new style of BYU basketball. Cool. What's the latest on Tanner Mangum? How healthy is he? Mm. And we'll go live to Lexington, 
Kentucky to talk to a horse. Not, but the main <laughs> horse on the women's volleyball team, <laughs> Veronica Jones-Perry. 27 kills in three sets, which is unbelievable. That was Saturday night. Cougars uh, women's volleyball team in the Sweet 16. Tomorrow, we will talk to Veronica Jones-Perry. Yep. Mm. You guys, that's good. And a little big deal, no deal. Big deal, the BYU Cougars have not hired an offensive coordinator. We will discuss. <laughs> it's not a big deal, is it? We will discuss. After the break. I thought they were going to get Jimbo <laughs> Fisher. Yeah. Did they? Uh, we couldn't match his $7.5 million a year that Texas A&M put up. Yeah, darn it. Yeah, so. So close. Uh, so Steve Young then. So we're down to Steve Young or Andy's out because you guys blew that up. Um <laughs> Steve Young. Steve Young. Brigham Young himself. Brigham. Brigham Young. Ty yeah. Emmer again. <laughs> Jim McMahon. Or Mark Wilson. <laughs> or Luke Staley. Interesting. Isn't that funny? Or, um, like, seriously, I guess anybody that's ever played football for BYU would be a potential offensive anybody, coordinator. Anybody. Ethan Potchman, the kicker, <laughs> or Justin Sorensen? Maybe. Hey, don't make fun of kickers. Oh, I will. Just they're very dear to I my heart. I look like one. I can. I can do that. Um, Jeff asked me to remind Spencer that he needs to watch Santa with muscles. Oh yeah, I need to get on that before okay. tomorrow's show. Okay. Oh, I don't know if I can make that happen. Mm, too late. Oh, shoot. You've okay, already Jeff, committed. I'll try really, really hard to uh, make that happen tonight. Um, just so you know, a lot of times when Jeff assigns a movie, it's usually not worth watching. Oh, that's a low blow. Um, the name of this movie is Santa with Muscles. <laughs> and the muscles, just so you know, aren't on his body. They're on his plate. Ooh. Just to get you ready for that. Jeff will make sense of it on his show tomorrow. Oh, can't wait for that. Yeah, good luck with that. Well, gentlemen, have a great show. Knock them dead. Kill it. That's a... How come you're having him watch movies? See, I resent that comment. You resemble it? I resent it. Why? Why do you resent it? The last few movies that I've suggested to you, you've enjoyed. Yeah, which one? Yeah, that one was really good. Matchstick Uh, Men. Matchstick Men was a great movie. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this is part of our, it's going to be part of our silver lining cinema segment Mm. where we take movies that are just pretty much every critic or viewer has just slaughtered it. They've talked, talked about how horrible it is. And since we're BYU radio, we like to talk about good. (laughs) We give it a positive review. You're going to have him watch a horrible movie and he's got to find the positive spin. Now, I wouldn't say it was horrible. Those were your words. Yeah. But Yeah. These are the ones that none of the critics like. I've already watched it, and I've got plenty of positive things to say about it tomorrow on the show. Wow. Give me another movie. Starring Hulk Hogan, by the way. The Hulk Hogan's going to be on Hulk Hogan's going to be on the show tomorrow? No, no, no. He was in Santa with Muscles. He stars in Santa with Muscles. Well, he, yeah. He yeah. is the Santa with Muscles. You don't need to sell me on it anymore. You can watch it for free on YouTube. I wonder why. I wonder why. Um, good stuff. Do you have a show, a movie I could watch? Like, what's one I could watch? Uh, I, I reviewed another one called Santa Claus from 1959. Mm. I, I I'll watch Santa with Muscles. Santa with Muscles I'm better, I'm going to watch though. that one. 
I will. Hey, let's get to our hero story. More than a thousand firefighters are battling the fast moving wildfires in Adventura County, California. And for a few hours late Monday night, they had help from a band of friends armed with only garden hoses from his home in nearby Camarillo, uh, uh, Brill, San Juan, and four of his friends decided to do something. They jumped into his two-door Honda Civic and made the 14-mile drive up to Ventura to see what they could do to help. San Juan and his four friends ended up on Polly Street in a uh, neighborhood where the flames had already hit. Several houses were on fire, and a large apartment complex about a quarter of a mile away from there uh, were also, was also engulfed in flames. So what did they do? They grabbed garden hoses and they got to work, started hosing down the houses, and were later joined by a handful of neighbors in the effort and just simply using a garden hose to do what they can in a crazy fire um, and really just adding the little bit that all of us can. That's what makes a hero, my friends. That's our show, and uh, we'll be back again tomorrow. BYU Sports Nation is up next.